Good evening, New York sports fans. I am Danielle McCartan. McCartan, before midnight tonight, and no matter where you are or, or what you're doing at this very moment, I want to thank you for choosing me to be part of your evening. And the good news is, I'll be talking all things New York sports for the next couple hours up till 2 a.m. And Pete Hoffman coming your way then. Paul Rosenberg and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. And you know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your phones. 877-337-6666. And as always, let's load them up with your best content only, please. And, and I just want to welcome those of you that are tuned in following the Brooklyn Nets loss to the Bulls at the Barclays Center. You know, the Nets, as you know, led by four at the half and you know, the biggest difference at that point were the second chance points between the Nets and the Bulls. And the Nets had 15 at that point, and the Nets had zero. Just when you thought that the Nets were on their way. I mean, they opened their largest lead of the game, which was 11 points about halfway through the third quarter. But in a game that they largely controlled, from the opening tip-off, the Bulls all of a sudden went on a 13-2 run midway through the fourth quarter, and that was pretty much... All she wrote, I mean, DeMar DeRozan led the charge on that um, that run anyway. And, and Chicago opened up then a six-point lead before Steve Nash even called a timeout. And the momentum had completely shifted at that, that point. The Nets found themselves down five with one minute remaining. And all of a sudden, it feels their lead evaporated. And they found themselves in desperation mode against another top team. And then Lonzo Ball quieted. The Barclays Center crowd with a clean, open-look three-pointer put the Bulls ahead by five with 16.9 seconds remaining. Dagger. And then you look at Durant and Harden just standing there and watching it go in. I mean, they didn't even put a hand up. And and not to mention the Nets looked absolutely pitiful on that last possession. They were playing hot potato with the ball, and they needed – it was a two-possession game at that point. It had to go in. And that was it. The Nets lost by four. So as you've seen on my social media accounts, at Coach McCartan on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, I went to a big event the other night, the sixth annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner at Jando on the Water in Brooklyn. I'll talk more about it throughout the night, but I'm telling you this now because I interviewed some big-name baseball people there, and I cannot wait to bring them to you. Coming up a little later in the show, my one-on-one with Aaron Boone from the event, and my one-on-one with Anthony Volpe from the event. And uh, if you've seen anything on this WFAN social media channels uh, today and, and probably throughout the rest of this week with the rest of the interviews, I just want to give a big shout-out to Lou DiPietro, who on his day off, Lou, worked around cutting down his Christmas tree and everything. He posted up my Boone video and my Volpe video on WFAN's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram account. So, big grazie mille to Lou DiPietro. Closed for business for the first time in 26 years. They are locked out, you know, for the first time in a lot of young fans' entire lives. I mean, the owners locked out the players in an offensive move to prevent a player strike. So essentially, for us fans, that means no baseball until there's a deal in place. 
coaches and front office personnel will not be able to communicate with players. There will be no free agent signings, no trades, no team-organized off-season training programs, none of it. But my skeptical mind, and maybe yours too, question how that would exactly be enforced and what the penalty would be. But I digress. I understand why the lockout had to happen. I really do. And we'll talk about the reasons in a second. And I'm not pretending to be any sort of expert on this. There are many nuances there to, to this whole thing. But this is just so bad for us fans. I mean, does anyone really want to stomach and be caught in the middle of a month-long boxing match between millionaires and billionaires in the state of this economy? Do you think the millions of unemployed and underemployed people in this country care to be involved in a quibble under a revenue share of a few percentage points one way or another? Or an expanded postseason that would result in more of our cash flowing into the owner's pockets? And by that, I mean us actually going to the games and filling the stadiums. I mean, Max Scherzer just signed a contract that will pay him $43.3 million per year. And don't look now, but but Max Scherzer's contract is is bigger than in this one season than three Major League Baseball teams' payrolls. And I feel like we, the fans, are in the, the – we're pawns in this whole thing. Like, I know this isn't part of it, but how about the owners kind of put their focus on lowering the price of parking and concessions and ticket prices at their stadium for us normal people? And, and for the players, too, how about them? How about – and I'm talking like the top tier of players – How about they start signing autographs for the kids in the stands so the kids can be more invested in the game from a younger age? But nah, they probably won't do it because they would jeopardize their private autograph company contracts. And so what I'm saying is, with every negotiation, each side tries to posture to make themselves seen as the more righteous side. The MLBPA put out a statement. Rob Manfred wrote a letter to baseball fans. And it's literally just literature pleading the case for each side with us in the middle. And with every negotiation, it's going to take the two sides working together on the common good, which is the product of the game of baseball. And let's not lose ourselves in that. If there is a real work stoppage once this regular season rolls around, the game of baseball loses. Not this side, not that side. The game of baseball loses. And it can't afford to, literally. Like, I see it every single day. Like, kids are no longer interested in baseball, and they actually opt for more fast-paced games like lacrosse instead. And they're both spring sports in high school, lacrosse. Um, well, girls lacrosse is, anyway, and, and baseball. But either way, it's they become year-round sports no matter what. And as you know, you know, there's some things that I can do without. And, and for example, uh, Jameson Tyone was leading the way. Jameson Tyone on Twitter the other day tweeted, Since MLB chose to lock us out, I am not able to work out with our amazing team physical therapists who have been leading my post-surgery care progression, slash progression, end quote. So the tweet should have ended there. Instead, he continued on. He said, Now that I'm in charge of my own PT, what should my first order of business be? I'm thinking I'm done with this boot. It can go. And then he put a uh, smiley face with the sunglasses emoji. That kind of stuff is not funny. 
And neither of the comments back to him by the baseball players. I mean, Trevor Williams replied by saying, and this is a quote, I found out the last two years there are tons of doctors on Twitter and Facebook that can help you. And then some guy, some random guy, responded back to Tyone with a picture of his ankle wrapped in bandages after his own surgery, and he offered help. And he, I'm I'm sure, was completely joking because the guy had a Yankee tattoo on the other leg. Zach Britton, I guess, didn't catch the joke because he wrote back, quote, sounds reasonable. Like, this stuff can stop. Leave it all in the negotiation room and stop including us, the fans, in the middle of this whole thing. And... You know, the main reasons why this is happening. I mean, the short answer is money. A, the players want a larger share of the revenue. And historically, during the modern era, which is this era, it's hovered around 50-50. Currently, the owners get 57% and the players get 43%. Okay, to me, here we go. Judge Judy, split it right down the middle again. But again, I'm not an owner or an ownership group about to lose out on 7% of revenue, which is a lot. (laughs) Could be millions. B, the players also want to end service time manipulation, which obviously prevents them from cashing in sooner. You've seen it all over, albeit very subtly, keeping your team's younger players in the minor leagues for longer to keep them under team control and cheaper longer. This past spring training, both Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge spoke out loudly against it. Judge even saying this, he said, it's tough to hear because as a player, I've always wanted to have the best product out there on the field. This is about winning this championship, and it doesn't matter if you're 40 years old, if you're 18 years old. If you're the best player at that position, you should get the opportunity. And that was Aaron Judge in, I think, either late February, beginning of March this past season. And you know what? He's right. If you are the best player at that position, you should get the opportunity. So what do you do? You lower the number of years to hit free agency from six to five? Well, there was an unnamed free agent in some article that I saw who offered a very logical counter to that by saying, this is a quote, the market will be flooded with more players that way, which will only further drive free agent values down, end quote. So you got to think about like, you know, supply and demand at that point. So I'm along the same vein. The players' union wants to raise the starting salary for younger players and offer incentives, if you will, based on award and performance benchmarks. And then C, both sides are trying to work in and agree upon an incentivization of of competition to stop with the tanking teams. And and the premise is nice, but neither side can agree on a way to figure out how to do it. It's just... There, and those are like the three main things that I've kind of gathered. There are so many other nuancey things and little things here and there that buckle up, everybody. I, I think I think we're going to be in it for the long run. And again, if this spills into and, and, and postpones any part of the 2022 baseball season, the game of baseball loses. And we, the fans, lose. And I hope that the owners... And, and, you know, the Players Association and all the stakeholders can really realize that. That the longer this goes on, you know, the worse it is for the game of baseball. My decisions, baby, there's nothing holding me back. There's nothing holding me back. Last week, we talked about what each of our New York teams is grateful for. And during this lockout, I am grateful for the fact that the Mets are still able to move forward and proceed in their managerial search. It's good because by all accounts, 
this lockout seems like it's going to go the distance. And this is a welcome distraction for us for now from the New York Mets. So some names started circulating around the internet late last night about who might fill, I'm going to channel Steve Summers here, the New York Metropolitan's managerial vacancy. Whoever they choose, hopefully, will no longer be holding them back, as Sean Mendez just told you a few seconds ago. Robert Murray kind of broke the news that Curtis Granderson was among the names under consideration for the job. Well, Granderson did play with the Yankees when Epler was there. Alderson did sign him to the Mets, so there is a relationship there. But John Heyman reported this morning that, that Granderson is not interested. Citing his Players Alliance presidency, the cash he actually made while playing, and his charity work. And also, don't forget, Steve Cohen said not long ago that, this is a quote, I don't like people learning on the job on my dime. Good. Nothing against Granderson. He's a great guy, but that's the way it should be. The Mets need someone who already knows what they're doing, especially at this level. But John Heyman also dropped a few more names late Friday night. Pat Murphy, Brad Ausmus, Walt Weiss, John Gibbons, Joe Espada, Eduardo Perez, Joey Cora, Ron Washington, Bob Guerin, Rob Thompson, Larry Boa, Raul Abanez, Eric Chavez, James Rosen, Mike Schilt. It's just so many names, you know. And and when you know, here's another thing: when the Angels were looking to replace Brad Asmus in after the 2019 season and beyond, Epler reportedly recommended Buck Showalter to to Moreno. So he's certainly a fan of him. And to start that whole tweet of listed names, John Heyman said that Showalter is most obvious choice considering expectations slash experience. Heyman also said that the Mets are assembling their list over the next couple days, but it's clear Buck Showalter is indeed one name high on the list. They will conduct a full search, however. John Harper chimed in on Twitter and he said, Epler can't overthink this. He now has a veteran team with high expectations. Can't take chances with the unknown. Just hire Buck Showalter already. And then you had Adam Jones, who played for Showalter in Baltimore. And he said on Thursday on Twitter, I think this would be great. I see it a lot of the comments. Folks are literally miserable. Also, folks don't have any idea of the real impact Buck can make on a ball club. And I'm not just talking about the players. The franchise. He made everyone better and accountable. I hope they get him. And in their time together, Jones was a four-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover, and a Silver Slugger. And then take it for what it's worth, Adam Jones said Friday on Twitter, I seen what Stroh was talking about when dealing with the Mets media. And then he put a, a shaggy from the cartoon GIF saying, shh. Like, what does that even mean? Just come out and say it, Adam Jones. What do you mean? Feel free to give me a call tonight. I'm going to ask you myself. Like, that, that, whatever. In any event, Buck Showalter is going to be 66 years old in May. And depending on the number of years the Mets would offer him, if they were to offer him something, he would be among the oldest managers ever in the history of the game of baseball, like within the top 10. And Buck Showalter, who I know has been involved with the Yes Network, has also not managed a single baseball game since the end of 2018. We're about to turn the calendar, believe it or not, everybody, to 2022. The game has changed rapidly in those years. I've been having an ongoing dialogue with a major national reporter in my direct messages about a bunch of baseball topics, and, and this one included. And I'm very grateful to have this person in my corner, so to speak. And 
after I told this person about my and my high school players' miserable, absolutely miserable experience with a 70-something head coach, or maybe he was late 60s, I don't even know. And listen, I know the levels are not comparable, but this is my experience. This person told me not to worry about Buck Alter's age and how he'd relate to the players in the clubhouse. This this person told me that his relatability improved when he went to the Orioles. And he pointed to the importance of the composition of the coaching staff around him, which is true. And the composition of the veterans on the roster, which is also true. So although I'm not a huge proponent of him commanding the Mets, I would be open to the idea of the you know, if the cast of coaches around him is more relatable. I mean, how about David Wright for a bench coach? Show Walter Wright 2022? I'd ship that. For me, and I know people love him, there are pros and cons. This is how I sit down and try to evaluate every major personnel decision for our teams in this area. And the pros for Show Walter are, A, he has managerial experience. Check. Especially in New York. Check. Yankees, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Orioles. B, he's also worked as an analyst here in New York at the Yes Network. So in his time away from the dugout, he's still involved. And C, he helped the Yankees go from the bottom to the, you know, that Drake song, bottom to whatever, now we're here in the AL East before that 1994 lockout. And many people say that they would have won the World Series that year had there not been the, uh, the player strike, I should say. And cons. I mean, for me, there were more of them. Like, in his last stop in Baltimore, Buck Showalter's team had only four winning seasons in the eight full ones he was on the job. And his last winning record was all the way back in 2016. They made the postseason in only three of those eight seasons. Hey, you want to talk about his in-game decisions? Okay. Well, how about this one? One really big one. It cost the Orioles a wild card game. He didn't use his all-star closer, Zach Britton. Can you imagine that happening here to the Mets? The manager not calling upon his all-star pitcher in a crucial moment, not only in that game, but for the franchise? I'll tell you one thing. I would love to be on the air here in New York after that one. C, I look back in, and to see how it ended there in 2018. And in his one of, if not his final press conference, he, and this is a quote from Baltimore Magazine, suddenly alluded to, the new manager is someone who fits more with the statistical anal- the, st- the statistical analytics trend that teams across baseball have adopted over the last decade. Hmm. Hmm. And that's why he was out. Hmm. D, I don't know how the perception that Showalter might be opposed to the front office involvement in today's game would fly. And E, He's gotten teams close, but but never all the way. The Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers. And, and, you know, the Mets are looking for a good postseason guy, right? That's the goal? Showalter has nine wins and 14 losses as a manager in the postseason. That equals a 391 postseason winning percentage. Not good. He's also a career 500 manager. So for comparison... I looked at Joe Torre's career record. He's got a 592 career winning percentage. So at least they're a little bit comparable if you really want to stretch it to fit your narrative in that category. But Joe Torre's postseason winning percentage is almost double that of Joe Walters. And as you can see, clearly there's a lot of momentum building for Joe Walters hiring in Queens. So does he even want the job? I mean, the Mets settled on their publicly known 12th choice for general manager. 
But Jerry Coleman, the evening host at 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, asked him yesterday. Showalter said, quote, they will pick somebody that fits what they need. I'll let the process run the course, end quote. So was the pitcher that with the highest AAV in the majors consulted before signing on the dotted line with the Mets? Scherzer, that is. Well, Epler told Carton and Roberts that he and Scherzer talked characteristics, but not specifics. Be that as it may. They also about him, asked him about the Mets' timeline for hiring. Epler said he's not putting a shot clock on it. He doesn't know. And when he's ready, they're ready. I mean, maybe the Mets roster will be good enough that it won't really matter anyway. I mean, they certainly have the right mentality. Epler told Cartner Roberts that they were also going to pursue Scherzer regardless if they had signed another big-name pitcher. And that's great news. And yet, the Yankees have watched all of the free name— well, a lot of the big-name free agents fall off the board one by one as they sat idly by. Yankee fans are left wondering if Brian Cashman is asleep at the wheel because the manner in which this team is built, it's just not going to cut it this season. This team, as it is constructed right now, is not constructed to win a postseason series, let alone a World Series. So let's get it going. I've set the table for you, and I cannot wait to talk with you at 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan in New York City. The Fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, hey, Google, play WFAN. Welcome back to the Carton Before Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. You know, I, I was just alluding to it a little bit. I went to the, the other night, the sixth annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation's dinner. Again, it was at Giando on the Water in Brooklyn, a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've all been back together. And last year's event was all virtual. This year's event had 275 attendees. I'm so proud of this organization and how far we've come. And yes, we, because I, full disclosure, am on the advisory board. It's an organization which is committed to developing and promoting youth baseball and softball in the United States and in Italy, sponsoring clinics, you know, got a lot of MLB player involvement, scouts, college coaches, gives out scholarships, the whole thing, right? If you're interested, iabf.foundation is the website, but... You know, I only get behind things that do good work, and and this is an organization that does not good but great work, and I just don't get behind just anything, as you might already know. But, you know, the other night at at the event, I I was able to speak with a bunch of Italian-American baseball players, you know, managers, coaches, media members, whatever, and I can't wait for you to see and hear them all. But tonight, I'm going to be bringing to you during throughout this show my one-on-one with Anthony Volpe, the number one New York Yankees prospect, and with Aaron Boone. Not Italian, I know. But I also talked at length at the event with Bobby Valentine, Jason Greenlee, Trey Mancini. All right, well, Mancini, however you how do you however you say it in English? Mancini in Italian. And I connected again with a great friend of the show, Wayne Randazzo, as you know. I met Anthony DeComo for the first time. So I hope that you'll be able to consume all of these these interviews all soon. I'll get him up there as soon as possible. So anyway, excellent job to Joe, to Carmine for another excellent event. And to my longtime friend, Matt, who started his own small business film company on Instagram. He's at MS underscore films underscore 
201. And he came with me. He recorded, edited everything. And I don't know if he realizes, but how much of a huge help that is for me. So, Matt, thank you. You know, and, and I can't wait to be at next year's event. So, great event. And maybe I'll see some of you there. That'd be awesome. And um, you guys can send me any sort of messages, and I'll get back to you uh, regarding that and more information on the foundation and uh, what it does. So with that said, let's hit the phones for the first time tonight at 877-337-6666 to Deer Park we go. Justin, you're up on the fan. Hey, Daniel. First of all, how are you? I'm good, Justin. How are you? It's been a while. I'm doing good. Yeah, my question is, you are a coach. Let's say Jack Giant. And or any NFL team, and you had to have either Daniel Jones or Zach Wilson on your team. Who would you want on your team, and why? Oh, I will man. listen to your response. Oh, Justin, this this is like five weeks in a row that you have brought really good questions. Oh, man, well, okay, I guess it depends on the construction of my team, right? And my mind went to the fact that Daniel Jones has had three years at the NFL level and kind of, I think, kind of what you see is what you get. Although I, he has gotten a really unfair shake here in New York. And with Zach Wilson, I mean, he is, he's got one of the lowest quarterback ratings in the league throughout the games that he's played, but, he, but he's a rookie. Huh. It's hard because you're speculating on on the future of Zach Wilson versus what 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 has been with Daniel Jones. I think I'd pick Daniel. I think I'd pick Daniel Jones t- to build my franchise around. Yeah, and I, I, a lot of you guys might be, you know, saying what to your radio right now. It's just Zach Wilson. You know, by default, I'm picking Daniel Jones because Zach Wilson hasn't shown. Really much of anything just yet. Ask again in three weeks, the answer could be different. But right now, I'm picking Daniel Jones to lead my franchise over Zach Wilson. Maybe it's unfair to Zach Wilson, but again, he hasn't done much. He's thrown a a ton of interceptions and not a lot of touchdown passes. The offense doesn't look like it seems to run when he's under center. Although the second half of last week looked a lot better. Yeah, so that, that, that's that's what I'm going with. And Justin, great question. Oh, wait a second. Before we get to Kevin and Campton, we got to wish him a happy birthday. Kevin, happy birthday. Thank you, Coach. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just got back. So I'm full. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Mom pumped up. I got to talk about the Mets signings. And then at the end, I'm going to give you my prediction for Mets manager. Because earlier on Twitter, um, you were talking about Heyman. He released one of the names. It was him or somebody, but somebody released another name. And I agree. I think he's the perfect manager pick for the Mets. But I'll say that at the end. As far as the Mets move so far, love it. Scherzer, I did not think he was coming. I told you that the last time. Yeah. Grateful that they did. You need The Mets' biggest need was pitching. They addressed it. You know, logic aside, I, I mean, he might be hurt or whatever. But when you, got the, when you have the chance to get the best pitcher out there, you, you get him. And guess what? Right. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I did not think he was coming. And guess what? They said they weren't done either. I am. And I'm hoping it's Chris Bryant. Okay. And and I told you this on Twitter and I'm going to tell you this now. I'm all right with Bryant not coming back. And I know for you, you said you were shot. Listen, because there's a lot of, I'm gonna, there's a few things here. I told you a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, I told you, 
I would not overpay for him. I told you I would bring him back about eighty million. I was not going to overpay for him. I love the guy, but I would not overpay for him. Yeah. That was one. You love, but you loved Bias. You were such a Bias fan. Did you buy the jersey? Did you buy the shirt? I can't remember. I actually have two. Oh. It, it, it's a funny story. My my cousin was wanted. He wanted to buy one. He was he's a big Bias fan too. He bought me one. I ordered it already from MLB Shop. So he told me he got me one. I'm like, wait, I just ordered one, so I'm going to get two. <laughs> so I I got two. I and um, they're both in my closet. But yeah, no, but as far as Bias. Look, I told you, I wouldn't overpay for him. And it's, and also, when we signed Scherzer, it wasn't feasible, okay? I know once we got him, I said, there's no way he's coming back because the Mets would be way over the luxury tax if they if they had brought him back. Mm-hmm. And I said it, the biggest need was pitching. Mm-hmm. And if I had to prioritize, I'm sorry. And, I, and Baez is my guy. But pitching over the bat. I uh, so, Yeah, Kevin, I'm glad you came to your senses on that one. Well, I'm still a fan of the guy. I just think that, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I also think that the biggest need for, like I said, biggest need is the Mets pitching. And I'm hoping because the Mets really need Brian, the versatility, because I'm telling you, I, I don't think McNeil's going to be the guy. I don't think they're going to go with McNeil at second base because he's in the door, whatever. Well, you got, you got Cano waiting that. in the wings, Kevin. I mean, what do you do with him? He's still on the books. Do you give him another chance at second base? I mean, come well, on. I mean, I, I would, but I mean, I just from what everybody's reporting, I just I'm not sure about that as far as that. Mm. And um, as far as Mets manager, I saw this on Twitter, Bruce Bochy. Mm. If he's out there, listen, I know he's not exactly a spring chicken, <laughs> but uh, if you got a chance to get a three-time World Series champ as manager, you bring him in. Yeah, I mean, he's got the, I mean, he's he, got the he, resume. He, there's a reason he's won three. Yeah. And he's managed recently, so it's not like he's been out of the game for too, too long. Mm-hmm. And he's been itching to get back. So if you get the chance to bring Bruce Bochy back, take it. Yeah. Because you get Scherzer in there, you get a lot of other bats in there. And if you get Chris Bryant in there, whew, I'll tell you this right now. The Mets would be something to watch, man. And I'm telling you, I'm digging Chris Bryant. I am digging it. it, it you it, Partially with, with your, you know, I, you, I know you've talked about it. Yes. But Bryant is the piece because our outfield we don't we don't know about Smith and and where else Covado's gone. Marte's getting old, and kind of listen. I, I, I the guy is a good hitter from my red, but I haven't seen the guy because I never watch Oakland. I really don't know what he's about. So I, I think honestly, Bryant could offer that third base versatility. He can offer the outfield. Yes. He's the guy. He's the guy, Kevin. He's been the guy. And thanks for the call there, Kevin. I appreciate it. And happy birthday to you. Uh, yeah, Chris Bryant should be the next piece to fall uh, in Queens. And I know we're going to have to wait a really long time to see if it happens that way or not. But like Kevin said, he he is the everyday third baseman. And you know, Epler did say to Cartner Roberts that um, when Evan asked him about you know all those players, and and JD Davis was one of them. Epler said he's going to be a Met next year. So. I don't know if that's just kind of posturing or, or whatever, but I I would like to see J.D. Davis traded. You, you would get an immediate upgrade with Chris Bryant at third base over J.D. Davis. I mean, come on. And and I, I wanted Chris Bryant at the trade deadline. And remember when I was saying how the Mets picked the wrong Cub. They picked Bias to play out of position with his buddy Lindor. The, real, the, the right Cub, the right answer... To that was Chris Bryant, and they didn't do it, and they didn't do it, 
and the Mets are not done adding to their pitching staff as well. And if you're a Mets fan, you got to love the fact that they said even if they got Scherzer or or Syndergaard or, or any of the top pitchers, that they were going to be in on any of the other ones. So I'm just telling you, I think that uh, I think the Mets are, are really, really in business. So the good thing about this lockout, as I was just saying, is that it does not and looks like it will not affect the Mets' search for a new manager. The Mets have their hands on some tangible names. I've got another mind-heart conflict going on with who I'd like to see managing the team in the future, but both guys are on the list, so to speak. I'm Danielle McCartan, and we will talk about this coming right up next on The Fan. The Fan is your station. We want to hear from you. Call The Fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook. Better odds and favorable prices. by Van Halen for you. I didn't know. Paul Rosenberg told me this. Um, hopefully you're not seeing your dreams right now. Hopefully you're tuned in. Hopefully you're locked in. It's McCartan Before Midnight here on The Fan. And you know what? I, you know, we've talked about the top three characteristics that I'd like to see in the new Mets manager. And, and whoever that person is, I, I'd like to see a scouting background because the Mets, you know, it's kind of barren down there in the farm. I'd like to see managerial experience, New York experience preferred but not necessary, and a balance of analytics and and gut management. And I think most Mets fans would agree on all three of these characteristics. And the answer to the equation, though, is different. By all media accounts, Buck Showalter has emerged as a front-runner for the job, but there are still literally like a dozen names on the list. And as I outlined in my open, and, and Buck will be a good manager for the Mets, probably not great. You know, I I would just like to give you some food for thought. Yes, he's going to straighten this ship out, no doubt. Yes, he's a guy that can manage with an iron fist, no doubt. Just be open-minded to the fact that there are other guys with MLB managerial experience that could also do that. And I think for me, the biggest deal for Buck Walter is that his teams are bad in the postseason. The Mets, with that owner and with that roster, want to and are poised to win a World Series. I put money on it, like, what, two weeks ago? And Showalter, by the way, in all of his managerial experience, has not won a World Series. Hmm. Want to talk about his in-game decisions? Okay. The thought that he didn't make the in-game decision to use all-star pitcher Zach Britton in a game that his Orioles ultimately lost would make Mets fans riot around here. Not really. I don't condone writing whatsoever, but I'm just using a figure of speech there. But, I mean, really, think about it. There are all kinds of high expectations for his Orioles teams. The bottom line, eight full seasons, three postseason experiences. And like I said before, or on Instagram, he has some talent on those teams. That's not an excuse. He had Adam Jones, Zach Britton, Jake Arrieta, Manny Machado, Chris Davis when he was good, Nick Markakis, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to show for it, all of his, his postseason experience, Buck Showalter has a postseason winning percentage of 391. Nine wins, 14 losses. And I challenge Mets fans, do you stand for that? To me, that's not good enough. 
Let's go to Brian in Norwalk, Connecticut. Connecticut. You're up on the fan, Brian. How you doing, Danielle? I'm good. Uh, how are you? I've never heard of you before. We need more female uh, female voices on uh, the fan. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, but uh, what I was thinking was uh, uh, Gary Sanchez is uh, a Spanish uh, speaking uh, catcher. Okay. And uh, he catches uh, Garrett Cole, or actually, he doesn't want it. Or no, Garrett, Garrett Cole, Cole doesn't, doesn't want to pitch him. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's it's hard to give like a wink wink nod nod, you know, when you have the spider tag stuff, you know. I, I, listen, I, Brian, I'm trying to follow this. The reason why Garrett Cole doesn't want Gary Sanchez behind the plate is because he's not a good defensive catcher. That's the reason why. No, that well, what? Yeah, but he has an arm to second base. He has a what? He has an arm to second base. He can he can throw a guy out to second base. He's got to catch the ball first. Yeah, it's tough to catch the ball when it's thrown in the dirt. No, it's it's actually Brian. Come on, man. It's not what you do is and I and I never was a catcher. But but here's what you do when when the ball is thrown in the dirt, you drop to your knees. I'm doing it right now. You you drop to your knees, right? You turn the glove where your your fingers. Your middle fingers, like you're, you're scraping the ground, and you use your chest protector to block the incoming ball. That's how you do it. And I'm no catcher. Come on, man, be better than that. You know, Gary Sanchez is a subpar defensive catcher. If I were a pitcher, I wouldn't want to pitch to him either. To be quite honest, I'd be like, "All right, thank you." Next, channel my inner Ariana Grande, and to the next call we go to Frank in Staten Island. You're up next on the fan, Frank. Hey, Danielle. Uh, I listened to what you said about uh, Buck Showalter. Yes. And I thought that was an unfair comparison in terms of him and Joe Torrey. Maybe. Could I have mean, been. Could have been. Uh, come on. Okay. You can't, you can't compare the teams that Buck, that Buck Showalter had versus uh, what Joe Torrey had. First of all, he worked for an ownership that was the cheapest ownership in baseball. Yeah, but, and, but, yes, he had some of those key ball plays, but they all left. But they, they were all, all on the same team at money. one point, though. But they were all on the same team at one point, and Buck Showalter yeah, sabotaged it. To, but they didn't have the pitching when they had those guys. But he did, But, I mean, but on, he had Zach Britton, and he didn't go to him in, in a well, an elimination game. He, he was an all-star. Okay, okay, for one game. But think about the hundreds of thousands of games the guy has coached. I mean, but, your but comparisons it... are not fair. Your compar- what was the team payroll for Baltimore versus the Yankees? And I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah. What was it? What was the? Come on, it was like next to nothing. Yankees were making four times the amount of money that the Baltimore was having. So why? Why I that? no? Why I looked at Joe Torre was just because that was my frame of reference. Watching those Yankees teams, that's my frame of reference. Everybody around here talks well, so like. About, but. but but everybody, but, but everybody talks about Buck Showalter around here like, like like the guy walks on water. And I'm like, all right, well, I know Joe Torre, so how can I? what numbers could I use to compare them? But you know what? It boils down to me. Frank, here's what it is. Nine wins in the postseason, 14 losses. That doesn't cut it That's for me. Right. You're right. It doesn't cut it. But if you look around the league and you look for the team that he had, he was lucky to get to the postseason. Yeah, oh, come on. The ownership that he had. He so, had so okay. What do you? What is your projection for this Mets team? Would he be lucky to get to the postseason with this team if he were the manager? Whoever they hire for the Mets this year has to go 
to the postseason, and I'm going to go one better. Has to make it to the World Series. Okay. With the amount Great. of money that he's spending right, right now, exactly. whoever they hire. Yes. And I would hire somebody with experience. Agreed. Hiring people that Agreed. haven't done it, whatever. Yes. You know what? And the other guy said, Bochi, if he's available, go out and get him. Yeah. Stop fooling around. Right. Stop fooling around with the assistants, the, the guy that did it once before. The hotshot candidates. That could do it. Yes. I'm with you on yeah. that. I mean, but I just, and here, and where we disagree is, I don't think Buck Showalter can do it. Well, I, like I said, I, I will take exception to that only because I've, I've watched him many, many years. And right now, I don't know who's available that would be better than him. Other than, you know, Bochy, but who else that has the experience of managing a team? And by the way, managing an organization. The Mets organization, mm-hmm. is, is, I'm sure you'll have to agree. Yes. It's the worst in baseball. One of. They need somebody that could build this team from the ground up. Yep. And obviously, Sandy's not the guy. And this and the other guy, well, the other now, GM, he's a pretty good guy. Right. And he worked with Bob Showalter, Right, him. right. And, and Frank, and, and thanks for the call there. We have to kind of run to break here. But, um, right. But the manager, you know, that's a GM's job is to, to build the team. The manager is just simply there to, to manage it with a group and a collaborative effort nowadays. And I don't know if Buck Showalter is going to like that. But, Frank, we agree on on most all of the qualifications needed uh, for this Mets team. And I know you said you're a Yankee fan, but we agree on the qualifications when you look at it logistically and, I mean, logically and, and all that. We agree. I just point to his postseason winning percentage of 391. I mean, Adam Jones was a, a, an exceptional player for him. Zach Britton, Jake Arrieta, Manny Machado, for crying out loud. I mean, those are some really good players, and they were all on the same team. How do you not win with those guys? I, I don't know. A 391 postseason winning percentage. That doesn't do it for me, and it shouldn't do it for Mets fans. I'm sorry. All right, uh, Mike McCann's got an update for you. And welcome back to McCartney at midnight here on The Fan. It is 12.03 and 38 seconds. Welcome to the show. If you're just tuning in, I appreciate it. You want to give me a call at 877-337-6666. You know, real quickly, across the league in week 13, I guess now later today, technically, you're going to see and hear a lot of this my cause, my cleats thing. And, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I, this is one of my favorite um, NFL initiatives because players get to show a little bit of non-distracting-to-the-game personality. A few that caught my eye around the league, you know, a lot of these causes are, are really personal, like Emmanuel Sanders, who lost his mother when he was 24 years old. He, he's wearing cleats t- later today to represent his foundation, which benefits children who have lost a parent. Texans' Davian Davis is wearing cleats to benefit the Sandbox at Madeline's Place, which is an organization that fosters a safe place for teens. And the reason why he picked it? Well, in 2012, his friend, Madeline, it's named after her, unfortunately took her own life. So the video of him unboxing the cleats will make you cry, I promise. And I know that Jalen Hurts is the enemy this weekend for the Jets, and he was last weekend for the Giants. I get it. But he chose to rep the Women's Sports Foundation, which is which is pretty cool. And and, and when you watch the video explaining, you know, of him explaining why, he said... Women deserve an equal playing field in whatever field they choose. And he cited his mother, and he talked about his sister, too, his younger sister. So what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll send out the My Cause, My Cleats full list of player participants. I'm typing in as we participants on Twitter and on Facebook, and you guys can, you know, whatever, take a look there if you'd like. 
So, I mean, and then I started thinking, all right, what would I represent on my cleats? What would you represent on yours? You know, I, I would definitely do a new one each and every season. And I always like doing like the small ones, you know, the small little charities, because I feel like you can make a difference right away. A big one. Maybe I'm thinking maybe like a local animal shelter. Uh, I don't know, but something small, something very local, hyper local, very small. That's kind of what I would do. What would you do if if you had, you know, to rep a charity or, or wanted to rep a, char- a charity on my cause, my cleats? So be on the lookout for that uh, a little bit later today. And you can find um and the link that I just tweeted, and I'll send it out on Facebook in a second. Uh, you can see what, what what your Jets and what your Giants are repping uh, a little bit later today. All right, let's go to the calls. Let's go in the order that you called to Ocean County, New Jersey. Chris, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, I really appreciate your show. Um, oh, thanks. We're, we're all we're all talking about potential um, contracts and all, all these things. I just hope there's baseball next year. Yeah, I know. So amen to that. Yes. Yeah. Um. Freddie Freeman, you think Freddie Freeman is possible for to sign a contract with the Yankees? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I feel like that is a guy that's like a like he's a brave. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I don't know. Coming, on, he 100%. just won a World Series with them. You know, I know loyalty in baseball doesn't you know exist really, but I, I think the Yankees have two very viable options in Rizzo and Olsen, and I don't know if, how. Freddie Freeman would would factor into that. I really don't. So why so why is Freeman not signed by the Braves? I don't know. Maybe they're still negotiating. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not there. I don't I don't know. I have no idea. Right. Maybe they didn't put enough money on the table for him. Maybe. And everyone's all upset of the Yankees that they didn't do anything yet. If the Yankees would come out with Correa and Freeman, wouldn't that all change everything around? Yeah, yeah, it, it would. It would change their infield around. But Chris, they wouldn't have any pitching, and that is more of a concern than anything for right now. Is the Yankees pitching? Who is their number two starter? Please, somebody tell me. Douglas in the Bronx, you're up next on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Yes, I'm, as a Yankee fan, I'm already bracing that the real possibility that we could get, that the Yankees are going to just maintain status quo. Uh, just what recent history has, has taught us. Uh, we've been pointed at problems, center field, shortstop, catcher. Mm-hmm. But what have they done? Brought back Brett Gardner. Brought back Gary Sanchez. Oh, yeah. Right now, the shortstop is Jose Peraza. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that's a big thing, though. The, we, the Yankees have a lot of question marks. And uh, at really key positions, they look like they're, bringing, they're running back Sanchez. You know, but my the biggest priority, I would say, for the Yankees, Douglas, next sort of call, is that I would say that a number two starter is like 1A on their list, their shopping list this holiday season, and I know we're and we're all locked out, so it's not going to happen. But a, a, a number two starting pitcher, followed by a shortstop, followed by a first baseman, but they do have one on the roster, Luke Voigt, if they really needed to go that way, and a center fielder, which they do have one on the roster technically too, if they really needed to go that way. But but so starting pitching and shortstop, that's what the Yankees need. Unfortunately. They didn't seem to address it. Like like Brian Cashman was rappelling off buildings this week. I, I thought he was sleeping the whole, through the whole week, watching all these names come off the board. Matt in the Jersey Shore. You're up next on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How's it going? Hey, Matt. How, 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 you driving? You driving for Uber right now? I'm driving for Lyft right now. Oh, yes, Lyft. I am. I have right. a live audience in my car. Hey. <laughs> this is like Cash Cab. You want to play? A little bit, Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any money, though, so it's not going to work out. 
<laughs> yeah, give me some trivia. That would actually be fun. <laughs> oh, we could work that out. That would be fun, actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? So, I mean, the the last guy, he, he did steal a little bit of my thunder. Um, before I get to that, I, just as a Yankee fan, as you know, I don't hate the Mets. I've often pitied them. But at this point, I have to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. They've actually... Finally gotten, you know, as soon as they got Cohen as their owner, I knew things were going to turn around for them because, you know, they got their own George, essentially. Yes. And now they've actually made moves. Will they work out? That remains to be seen. But the, the it's like the Mets have become the Yankees and the Yankees have become the Mets. I Based on the last few years and what has not happened whatsoever before this lockout, how could we possibly believe – Cashman, that he's actually going to do anything. They brought back all the same guys. Yeah. I, I mean, what, in your mind, Danielle, what do you think, if they do something, that he, he would be willing to, or how would be willing to sign off on right now? Matt, it's, it's a good question because, um, you know, and it's, I think, you're right in, in the flipping of the script. I mean, Cohen's the guy with the deep pockets now, and Howe's the guy who's worried about the luxury tax. Because, let's just put this in perspective, the contracts that Brian Cashman has doled out, $70 million to Aaron Hicks. Um, I know the Cole one has is huge, but he's been living up to it, I think. you know, Maybe not the back half of the season, but for the most part, Garrett Cole has been worth the money, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So you're kind of right in that comparison that they've kind of reversed roles. And what would make Hal open up his wallet? I don't know because I don't, I don't know because Hal Steinbrenner supported it, it said he would support a policy to lower the luxury tax like that di- directly affects his team and his ability to build the team. So I don't know. I would hope it would be a number two starter. I would hope. It would be Anthony Rizzo because I, you know, you don't have Olsen. You're gonna have to trade for Rizzo. You could just buy. I'd buy Rizzo, and I would buy a, a number two starter. But the frustration among Yankee fans is that it is the question. It's like this insidious question of: Are the Yankees gonna even do anything? Are they gonna try to run it back? I don't know. I did though, ask Aaron Boone that a couple nights ago, two nights ago. He did answer the question. So I'll have that coming up for you in a little bit. Aaron Boone's answer to that. And and I asked him, the question I asked him was, what message would you deliver to Yankee fans that call me up on the phones, on the fan? What message would you deliver to them about if when they express their frustrations that the Yankees have not really done much and now we're locked out? Answer the question. That's coming up in a little bit. Uh, let's go, Ralph in Lakewood. You're up on the fan. Hi, I, I don't. I really don't understand you. I don't understand the previous callers. I mean, the nagging, the complaining about Cashman not doing anything. Well, you think the guy was like taking a jog and forgot there was free agency? Maybe he knew it was there. He didn't want anyone. He's he's not interested in signing. The guys that were signed for whatever reason. I mean, this is his job. This is what he toils over. To, for some fan who's sitting there in his uh, apartment with, with his feet up, they should have done this. They should have done this. 
You have no idea what you're talking about. Cashman is not sleeping. He's aware of what's going on. He's not interested in what there is out there. Like, I'm so you think he didn't watch the season? You think he didn't see what what they were lacking this year? And, and like, you think he's just doing headstands and, and twirling and doing the ballet? He knows what they need, and he's not interested yet. He knows what he's doing. Like, I, I, I can't with the... Like people thinking that they know better than the general manager of the Yankees. It gets me nuts. Ralph, let me ask you a question, Ralph. Let me ask you a question. You think this yeah. team is good enough to, to win a, a postseason series? Not no, the World but series. Cashman doesn't either, and he's going to do something. He is? He sees what's going on. Really? He didn't do anything before the lockout. Wow, Ralph, so who's still out there? Lose their mind? Oh, my God. Who, what, how are they going to benefit this team, Ralph? Brett Gardner yeah. again? No, but no. let's see what he does. It's it's December 5th. Hmm. My God, come back to me in April with the fetching. Hmm. I mean, this is like, this well, the, is the top, the top couple pitchers are off the market now. Oh, you want Scherzer, a guy who's 37 years old? Every Mets fan's going, whoa, Steve Cohen, the evil empire. It's Switch, really? It's Switch. The Yankees didn't sign Garrett Cole a couple of years ago? Well, he's not playing good. Okay, that has nothing to do with the Yankees not being the Yankees. He's not pitching good. But Scherzer, 37 years old, big whoop, enjoy him. Great. Knock yourselves out. And Lindor, when the Mets signed Lindor, it was the same thing. All the Mets fans calling, oh, Steve Cohen, unbelievable, greatest signing ever. How did Lindor work out for you guys? He didn't do nothing. Do nothing. Just let Ralph, Cashman do hilarious. his thing. Everyone just breathe. Let Everyone Cashman take a breath his... and All right, breathe. Ralph. Ralph, you take a breath and breathe and tell me the last time that Brian Cashman has won a World Series. Tell me. Oh, I, oh, 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 don't oh, get me wrong. Oh, don't get me wrong. Oh, I'm not I'm not happy oh, with not. the things he's been doing. Oh. But the fact. I, oh, oh, I agree. Okay. I agree. So he I'm hasn't sure won a World Series since 2009. But mm. it's the but he's he's done moves. The moves haven't worked out. But mm. he's he's signed people. I'm I'm just getting nervous from everyone getting mad from the lack of moves. Relax. He'll make moves. He he's not jogging. He's not walking his dog. And someone will walk over to him. Hello free agency, and he's like, really? I didn't realize that. Oh, my God. Okay, let me sign. Oh, they're signed already? Shoot, I missed out on that guy. Why didn't anyone tell me he was free agency? Ralph, you're hilarious. Ralph, you are hilarious. I totally disagree. He should have made a move. Like, I don't know, Rizzo? A guy, he's just re-signing a guy that was already there. I I mean, come on. It's a very frustrating there, Ralph. I, you know, let him do his thing, you said. Yeah? Let Cashman do his thing. Last World Series, 2009. Steve in Rockland, you're up next on the fan. <laughs> hey, Daniel. Hey. You know what? A, a couple of things here. First, first, I, just with the Mets, all right, you know, when you're talking about Scherzer and DeGrom, mm-hmm. And this, you know, just, it's a presumption of health with the both of them. Look, Scherzer, he's, a, he's the reigning Cy Young, okay? However, at the end of last season, he had a dead arm issue, all right? Now, I'm not saying it's not because he, he didn't pitch, you know, more than maybe he should have in a condensed period of time, all right? Yes. But he did have that issue. And quite frankly, all right? 
I'm let me. I'm going to confess. I am a Yankee fan, but I'm a gracious Yankee fan and a knowledgeable one. Okay, and I I have been on when when the baseball season is happening. I go on Degrom's standard time. I have not missed one of his starts yeah, for a very long time. Okay, I'm a huge fan of his, and I will tell you this: if he only pitches 15 games next year. The Mets, the Mets, it, they just, I don't know how they were going to compensate for that. Okay. But that's just the Mets. Now let me, let me go on to the Yankees and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole or anything, but I want to, I want to put, put a hypothetical to you and see how you feel about it. See, I was hoping, all right, this is what I was hoping as a Yankee fan that Cashman that brought, and all of these moves, I mean, would you agree that the lack of uh, activity here is organizational versus all on Brian Cashman. I mean, would you would you would you agree with that? Well, here's the thing, Steve. It's it's that 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 phrase, the collaborative effort. That's what right. it is, right? So there's no one point person to place any blame on, and that's it's designed that way on purpose. But I, I think the Yankees are looking to see what the actual luxury tax number is going to be moving forward, and and then kind of. Go from there. That's okay. what I think they're waiting for. But here's here's what I was hoping that the Yankees were going to do. I was hoping to see them package Glaber. It's not that I don't like Glaber. Right. I know. I get you. Package him. Bring back some stout pitching. Yes. Put put my man. Uh, J- JD, John, d- put put him at second, okay? Who? JD? Who? Not JD. You know that, DJ LeMayhew. Come on, D- Steve. D- yeah, J- David John Long gone. Hey, hey, DJ LeMay. Put put LeMayhew at second. Yes. Okay. And sign one of the shortstops. So let's get everybody into positions. Right. But I mean, so I'm just wondering what you, how you would feel about, you know. Doing something with because well, he's Steve, really the only piece now, right? Steve, Steve here's the thing. I, I two, uh, what was it? Last off season, whatever off season it was. I think it was at yeah, last off season. Like this time, I wanted to package Glaber Torres and trade him for uh, Castillo, right from the Red, the pitcher from the Reds. Everybody wanted to jump. Uh, no, you're crazy, Glaber this, Glaber that. Yeah, well, look what he did this season. Look what he did. It would have been an excellent trade piece. So, yes, I'm with you. DJ LeMayhew's best defensive position is at second base. If you could trade Glaber, and I love him. I do. He's a great guy. Love him. But if you could trade him for pitching, that's what the Yankees need, then you do it. My seven minutes with, speaking of shortstops, the number one prospect, shortstop Anthony Volpe from the Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner the other night. Coming up. Next, it's only seven minutes. You guys can hang in there. 877-337-6666. Here at the sixth annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner on Giando on the Water here in Brooklyn with the New York Yankees' number one prospect, Anthony Volpe. First question, what does Volpe mean in Italian? Fox. Hey, there you go. All right. Parli Italiano or no? 
Yes, no, I, I, I'd have to know that. I wouldn't be allowed here if I don't think if I didn't know that. <laughs> but do you speak Italian otherwise? Um, no, no. I gotta teach you. I know. <laughs> um, so this is our sixth time here, your first time here. What are your impressions so far on the foundation and meeting with Joe and Carmine? Yeah, so far it's awesome. Just so welcoming and so supportive with everything. So um, I know my coach Dan Fiorito this year in Hudson Valley just was at previous ones and he just told me how awesome it was. So I'm excited to experience it for the first time. Do you ever imagine playing baseball? I know we're talking a long time down the road for the Italian national team, you think? Um, yeah, I guess we'll see. It's definitely, I played for the United States national team um, three times when I was in high school and even before high school. So um, I know what it means to represent your country and, and it, it's awesome. So we'll see what comes down the road. Well, Dubart, you're a Jersey kid. Yes. I'm from Jersey too. Burton County though. All right, yeah, I'm from uh, Wachung, so Watcha, okay. Somerset County. All right, all right, all right. So we got some Jersey in the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so listen, I host a show on The Fan, as you can see. I've got a lot of calls about you. People are excited <laughs> to see you. When is he coming? Do And I looked at MLB Pipeline. Do you think you're ready for a 2023 arrival? Yeah, um, it's obviously not up to me. I'm just, I just work, trying to work really hard every day to just keep improving and keep getting better because at the end of the day, even when hopefully one day I do get called up, um, I, I know I still have a lot of work to do to get to that day and then once it comes, hopefully there's still a lot more work to be done even after that. So yeah. um, it's not as much when I get there, just I just want to keep getting better every day. Well, there's and there's a lot of like, I guess, I don't want to say the word hesitancy, but you know, the Yankees didn't get Seager. I mean, it, it's almost like, are they, no one knows, are they preparing for your arrival or are they going for a free agent? But how does that make you feel to know that, okay, they didn't go up and get Seager and overpay? Yeah, I, I don't know. There, I guess there's still a lot of time left, but um, I, I just want to play. You know, um, I obviously have goals and um, want to help and be a part of the team that you know wins multiple World Series. That's, I grew up as a Yankee fan. That's what um, the teams that I grew up. To, I watched one World Series in 2009, but my parents they tell me about. What? You're and, too young for that? Yeah. Oh my I mean, God, I, no only, I was only. I was born in 2001, oh, so I, no. I don't really remember any other ones, but um, um, that's my goal, and yeah. however that can happen, however yeah. I can do it, that's what I'm working for every day. Now, growing up a Yankee fan, Derek Jeter's shoes, what do you think about that? Filling at shortstop. <laughs> um, no, I don't think anyone could obviously ever fill in his shoes, and um, but he makes you dream. Like That's, that's why it was such a... I wouldn't even really call it a goal growing up, but just a dream because he just seemed larger than life and um, just such a great role model for me. And I'm sure my parents were just happy that he was the guy that I always looked up to. Right. Now, um, you, I saw this stat and I loved it because I am a fan of not small ball, but contact hitting. You struck out 19.7% of the time last year, which is amazing. What is your approach at the plate when you're like, all right, like, is it Little League where like you don't want to strike out? Yeah, no, I'd say 19 is probably too much for me. I, I, I hate striking out, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been ever since I was little, like striking out was the worst thing I could possibly do. So um, yeah, I think a lot of it is just being aggressive early in the counts and not even getting the two strikes. So that's what I try to do. And when I'm usually missing my pitches, when I'm striking out, so just try and um, take good swings at good pitches and not not miss early in the count and get the at bats over with. What I love about you too is you run the bases half an hour a day, running bases, pra practicing stealing yeah. bases up. I love that about you. That's some almost like anti-Yankee. How is base running? Please tell me. It's a lost art. How are you looking to recover it? Yeah. Um, that's what our base running coordinator, Matt Tellerico, who's completely 
is completely against the fact that base running is a lost art and stealing bases doesn't have any value. And it's not him just saying that. I mean, we work at it. We train. There's, it's, people may think it's instinctual, like this and that, but um, we work at it every single day in spring training, like I said. Um, and we got good at it. I mean, when you work at something really hard, it's not just me, but across the whole organization, I think we uh, were at least top three across all organizations and stealing bases and doing it smartly, only getting thrown out less than 80% of the time. So um, it's just managing risk and reward. And we think that if we can take advantage of certain moments throughout a 162 game season, that like you said, it's a lost art and something that we can take advantage of. I love that, I love that. I can't wait for you to come. Um, wait, I have one more on the, uh, oh yeah. So I grew up as a shortstop too, Derek Jeter, all day, right? So they moved me over to, to second base on a, at the varsity level, softball, obviously. I hated it. <laughs> but then you got Brian Cashman saying something like, we can move him around if necessary, he could swing over to second or third. Have you practiced anywhere else? And what is your level of comfortability? Yeah, um, growing up, yeah, I, I just love to play. And I'll obviously play anywhere. But since I got drafted, I think I played two or three games other than shortstop. So obviously, my dream is to play for the Yankees. And um, I'd obviously do anything. I'd play catcher, I'll pitch, whatever they want me to do to make that to make that happen. But at the same time, um, I've just worked so hard at shortstop. And, um, I know I still have a lot of work to do with a lot of things, but that's where that's what I'm trying to make happen. What do you say, you talked a few times about working at things getting better. What would you say are like the top three things you want to work on? Uh, yeah, going into the season, um, just my consistency with everything, with my swing, with my defense, with really everything. And a lot of that goes into um, like some personal goals. Are I want to hit breaking balls better than I did last year. Uh, I'm working really hard on my arm strength, so I'm working to get a couple more miles an hour on my throws. So kind of goals more oriented towards that kind of stuff, awesome. not, um, not really too many results, I guess. Uh, not yet. Yeah. You'll see. And uh, Ryan Cashman said, he was fantastic, certainly caught the attention of the entire industry. We're excited about his future. What are you most excited about? I'm just excited for the opportunities that are coming and just being given, being given a chance to, yeah. like I said, hopefully one day make that dream a reality. And that's all I can really ask for. And right. that's what I'm so happy that the Yankees have been able to let me do is just let me go out there and play. And uh, It's been great so far. Well, you're easy to root for, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy it tonight. Yeah, and Volpe is the anti-Yankee. They need that. I mean, the most recent scouting report says Volpe's instincts help him play above his tools on the bases and at shortstop. He's got a good internal clock and a quick release. This is his major league scouting report. He's a contact hitter, but looks like he can hit at least a 20 home run or be at least a 20 home run threat. You know, my, my favorite part about him is that last season, he only struck out 19.7% of the time. And you heard him. He said, that's too much. So I, I think the Yankees' plan at shortstop should be this. And I've said it all along regarding Seager, you know, when he was still in play, even before this the other night. If the Yankees are going shopping on the short uh, the shortstop market, they're going to need to get someone that's going to be able to and willing to move to third base to accommodate either Volpe or Peraza. But I do understand, and I echo the fr frustration among Yankee fans about their inability to better their team before this lockout began. And again, I, I asked Aaron Boone about that. My talk with him will be coming up in, in just a little bit. 
Let's go back to the phones. Uh, let's go to Randy in Staten Island. You're up on the fan. Hi, Randy. Hi, hi Danielle. How you doing? <laughs> Big fan. I love the show. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. You know, I think people are getting a little crazy about the Yankees. They haven't made any moves yet. I think they will. The Mets, I think, need to make changes in the organization. I feel where those organization changes start from the ground up with the soil and city field. I've been a dirtologist for years. They're not using the right dirt. The balls come off too hard. There's too many errors, and it slows the Mets down. Look into it. Somebody look it up. I'm going to hang up and hear your thoughts. Thank you. I, I actually just had it to Google if, if dirtologist was a real thing. So I Googled dirtologist, and dietologist came up. So I, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that might be an easy fix. You just take the old dirt out and put the new dirt in if that's the problem. I, I'm no dirtologist, but I, I think that's how that works. I'm not sure. Eli in Washingtonville, you're up on the fan. Yeah, listen, that guy Ralph and anybody that's a, a Brian Cashman apologist needs to have their head examined because mm. this guy is the most overrated general manager I think in baseball. When you have an unlimited payroll and you have and you have the mistakes that this guy has made with this organization since 2009, it's unreal. He does bad. Look, this season, they're they saying that he didn't sleep behind the wheel or he's not falling asleep. A main guy that they should have picked up was Marte. That would have yeah. like, solved your center field problem, not yes. bringing back uh, uh, Brett Gardner right. and not relying on Hicks. And here's another couple of things that I list down that Brian Cashman has also done that's terrible. Tell me. He over he overhypes his prospects. Oh, yes. Which is yeah, which is uh, you know, that's why we we have uh, you know, Andujar. Yeah, and Clint uh, that, Frazier. Yeah, you got Clint nothing Frazier for Clint that, Frazier. You got yeah, I I understand. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about that yeah. here. Yes. And then another thing, bad signings that he overreacts to the market when he lost Cano. He brought back Ellsbury. He brought in Ellsbury, which we know that was a disaster. Yep. Now, he, Staten is a good player, but when he lost um, on Otani, he brought in Staten on this trade, mm. and that that cripples you financially. Yes. Uh, and then tell me when was the last time we had a good pitch, pitching prospect? The guy Can't never think of develops one. a pitch. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the last one was, was this guy... Um, uh, the guy that's constantly hurt, and we signed him to a deal. Severino was it? Severino. Severino. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's a bad general manager. Like, I don't understand how people like say around the league that Brian Cashman is such a great general manager, which he swears he's the smartest guy in the room when it comes to analytics. And the Tampa Bay Rays love, uh, do laps around the Yankees when it comes to that too. Yeah. Like maybe the the the, the analytics guys in, in the Tampa Bay Rays went to a better college than the ones <laughs> the Yankees have, yeah. but I, I don't get it. Yeah. And they're so naive on on that they have a problem. Every time that they come uh, come to uh, to a press conference, oh, the analytics say we're going to do this. The numbers say we were projected to do this. You know what? There's only two numbers that matter here: wins and losses. Yeah. yeah. I don't care what numbers you throw at me. Yeah, Eli, you got a point there. You really do. And and it, when the, when the Rays let you know let go Snell, and you're like, wow, what the heck are they doing? You know, and they come right back and win the AL East. I mean, they have 
I don't know what's going on there, but they have a bunch of the smartest people in the room. I'll tell you that much. And Marte would have been a great, but also to understanding, right? We're not killing Cashman all the way because he's been under these regulations from House Steinbrenner to not go over the luxury tax. And Cashman, in essence, dug his own grave because all of the money that he has doled out over the years have put him in a position where the Yankees are scraping their nose against the top of the, of the luxury tax threshold. And now they're waiting to see, I think, if, if it's going to go down and they're going to get penalized even more with the current roster that they already have. That's what I think is going on here. But hey, who am I? I don't know. I'm no financial advisor or anything like that. But And I'm not in the rooms. I'm not in the whatever fifth floor at Yankee Stadium. But that's what I think. Rob in Babylon, you're up on the fan. Yeah, Danielle, that is so unfair what you guys are saying about him. Let me tell you something. Brian Cashman, name name one manager in Major League Baseball who's got four who's got two. Who's got two championships in the last twenty years? You know, and and it's so sad because Danielle, let me, say, let me explain something to you. When 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 now he wants to use the farm system and he doesn't go out and chase these you know these uh, um high priced um uh, free agents that that you know are are probably on their last legs and then everyone wants to you know criticize them for not chasing you know some of these big leagues but you were just now speaking to one of the one one of the uh one of the farm system guys man and, and speaking well about how you know can't wait to get up here right but no one's giving these guys a chance because because as fans hold on daniel please as fans we want to chase the big guy and every time that he chases a big guy you know what and it doesn't it doesn't work it fails now all of a sudden we got it we, we, we're going out for his head danielle He's putting these guys in a best position to try to win the championship. Now let me let me explain something to you. Can you please tell me who the number two starter for the Yankees would be next season? Tell me. Okay. Then, and no, no, oh, no, come on. no, no, Rob, tell me. Okay. Who is the number two starter for the Yankees next then, season? And but my point no, Danielle, is No, no, Rob, can, no, come on. Okay. All right. I, who I is it? Wanna, I, let me let me make up let me make my point. Can you answer my, my question? Point? I can't answer that question oh. because for the simple fact that Danielle, but to give me a point, Listen, because we're not allowing some of these guys that are in that farm system to gel. You got to get these guys. Now, Aaron Judge is supposed to have been such a good, uh, the, the best since Jesus Christ. Why did, what, what's been going on that he took 25 years? It took, he was 25 years old when he, when he, he came up. He went to up. college. So, he went to college. Okay, okay, That's what so happened. Danielle. All right, Danielle. But what I'm saying is this, every major league baseball player who was considered, you know, who was considered one of like a superstar, they came up at 19 and 20 years old. Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, uh, uh, you know, I can go on, Andy, but you know, these guys came from the farm system and immediately they didn't even finish a full season. As a matter of fact, Derek Jeter came up in 1995 when they did the 40 man, when they extended the roster, the 40 man extended roster before the playoffs. They went and, and right. he came up in 95. Right. So, I understand, but, but so Aaron Judge, my, the, re- the example you gave of Aaron Judge, the reason why is because he went to college. Okay, that's it. That's that, that period. Stop. Like now, now let's get back to this. Let's get back on track here. Who, who is the Yankees' number two starter? And whose Danielle, fault is it? And, and Rob, whose fault is it that they don't have one? 
Okay, because Danielle, because we as fans and we as the media are putting so much pressure on these guys to go and chase these guys that are free agents instead of going to that farm, man, and giving these guys every time. Just think about it. Remember uh, in the you know oh, middle of the yeah. season when they brought up a few of the guys and how they were these guys were they, these guys were exceptionally doing well. They, as a matter of fact, they got them out of the slump. See, to me, it starts from the top. Like, if, that, if, if Aaron Judge is supposed to be, like, the leader of the New York Yankees organization, right, why are they in a situation that they're in? If he's Bob, in the here, clubhouse... Here, listen, bro, he's- here, here's the answer. The answer is that Brian Cashman has doled out way too much money on big, 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 big contracts, and there is no wiggle room moving forward for that team. That's it. There's just none. There is no wiggle room for that team. The number two starter, I'm looking at the depth chart. It's Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez. I mean, come on. Who is it? There is no one-two punch in the Bronx. And there hasn't been, spoiler alert, for a long time. That's why the Yankees are unable to win a short series in the postseason. That's it. Garrett Cole can't pitch every game. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. Brian Cashman apologists. These Brian Cashman apologists, I don't, I don't understand it. The only thing is, he, he's got, what, one year left on his deal. He'll be back. He will be back because they re-signed Boone. So Cashman will be back. We have to look forward. You have to get beyond this. You have to look forward and, and the moves that he can make. And unfortunately, the deals that he has made has have, have contributed to the the Yankees roster inflexibility. And you know what? Keeping keeping along these in these veins, Nick, could we do the Aaron Boone interview coming up next? Sure. Yeah. All right. You know what? Keeping keeping along this vein here with the Yankees, uh, manager Aaron Boone from the Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner the other night. Coming up next. And here with the manager of the Yankees, Aaron Boone at the 6th Annual Italian-American Baseball Foundation Dinner here in Brooklyn. Um, I gotta ask, Boone doesn't sound too Italian to me. Any Italian heritage at all? No, but I have a vowel at the end of my name, so (laughs) they're welcoming me tonight. So uh, this has been a lot of fun already. Obviously a beautiful setting here and and, uh, a cool evening to be a part of. And uh, so you're just hanging out? I mean, that's awesome. I got invited, so... I thought I'd come and, and rub elbows with some with some cool Italians. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. I'm on the board here. We appreciate you coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I host a show on the fan. Mm-hmm. I get calls all the time, and I also express my own frustration about the Yankees not making any moves yet. Right? Yeah. What would you say to those fans that are going to call me up on Saturday and say the Mets made all these moves and the Yankees didn't? I mean, I, I guess I get it, but. I think it's December second. I mean, we got we got a long ways to go um, between now and, and and spring training and the regular season. So there's so many twists and turns that the off season always brings. And um, you know, uh, I know you know Cash and, and our front office is working really hard at exploring and um, considering every every available option out of, out there right now. Obviously, with the lockout now, where that that gets put on hold. Um, but doesn't mean we haven't done a lot of work and doesn't mean we still haven't made the right move um, and it doesn't mean we haven't passed on being the right move either so 
uh, let's. I would just say let's try and hold judgment until uh, we take the field and and uh, and there starts to be some wins and losses next to our name. Anthony Volpe is being honored here tonight. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing from him and his progress up the ranks? It's been really exciting. Um, you know, obviously a local kid that uh, was our first round pick a couple of years ago. Um, first and foremost, I mean, I mean, you're a first round pick, so obviously you're very talented coming out of high school, right? But, but I think one of the things that we knew about him uh, was how special of a person he was and the intangible uh, that he brings to the game. Well, not only have we seen that in his time in, in these last couple of years with the Yankees, but now this year he kind of had that breakout monster season. And to see him kind of have dominate the way he did in the lower minor leagues this year, um, just I, I think it's made everyone in the organization uh, that much more excited about his future and, and know that he's going to have a very bright one. So I, what I like about him, he, he told me before, he strikes out 19.7% of the time and he said it was too much. Yeah. I love that about him. Yeah, he's, I mean, from everything, we, the reports we keep getting from player development, from, from uh, you know, the, the managers and coaches and players that he plays with, is, it's just the, the intangible impact he has on the team. Um, but his attention to detail like that and kind of, you know, wanting and expecting to be great and, and you know he's going to do everything from a work standpoint to, to try and get the most out of himself. And, um, He's, a, he's an exciting young player. So, my, I guess another question I'm going to field and probably raise myself is then, do you just play the waiting game with him for at shortstop and, and kind of plug until then? Well, no, I mean, look, we, we're going to have to, you know, I, I don't think Anthony's certainly going to start the season with us. And sure. Obviously, we've got Oswald Peraza, another guy that we love as a shortstop that's, that's not getting close to. Um, you know, right now we have Geo that can play short, obviously. But no, we're still out there, certainly looking to to, to fill that position. We'll just see uh, where the winter takes us, where the road takes us, where spring training takes us. Uh, but there's a lot of things we're, that that I know Cash and, and front offices consider. So you you made the decision to move Flavor Torres to second base. Speaking of shortstop, second base, it worked. Mm -hmm. You were the one who decided. What kind of was like? All right, this is the move we're going to make. What was that breaking point for you? Um, you know, I just felt like we were getting to a point in the season, and and I felt like uh, you know he had he had had a couple of games where made a couple of mistakes in the field where for the first time I felt like it, it kind of weighed on him a little bit, and just to, at the point where we were in the season, um, I felt it was something we needed to do. So kind of something I kicked around a, a little earlier in the season with with Mendy and my bench coach Carlos Mendoza and, and even talked to Glaber about at different times um, but just the timing of it later in the year coming off a couple of games where I felt like he was feeling the weight of it uh, I just felt the time was right and, and the urgency of the season at that point uh, was the right thing to do. And I almost feel and you played too and I used to play not at your mm -hmm. level obviously but it, you know it, it weighs on you at the plate too right it's like a burden at the plate did you see that in him? I don't know we'll see you know I mean Obviously, everyone ties. We tend to, you know, always say, "Well, he didn't have as great a year because he was playing shortstop." Is that true, or is that just the narrative? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
you know, hopefully, hopefully him going back to second uh, now on a more permanent basis um, is something that frees him up. Yeah. You know, I think with Glaber, he's such a talented player, um, and I think sometimes we forget he's still a very young player that's been through a lot already at the, in the big leagues as a young man and has had a lot of successes, has had some struggles along the way, and I think in a lot of cases, and hopefully this is the case, that these are things that he grows from, that he matures from as a person, as a player, and allow him to become a better player going through some of the some of the um, trials and tribulations that you go through as a young player. Um, but I'm excited about where he's at. I'm excited about you know the work he's had uh, to this point in the offseason, and we'll see we'll see where it leads. My final question, I have to ask about it. The CBA, I mean, we are day one lockout tonight, or, well, yes, yeah. last night. But, I mean, what do you... What's the timeline, and what is your hope that comes out of this CBA? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, timeline, obviously, I'm not in those negotiations. Um, my hope is that, um, obviously, they reach a deal that that both sides, uh, if aren't totally thrilled with, can certainly live with, and then that, you know, out of it, you know, some of the new things that might be in it. Hopefully, they put our game on a higher ground and make our game better. Um, you know, that's hopefully uh, at the forefront of both sides, uh, the good of the game and, and the betterment of the game. And, and I trust that is the case, and hopefully uh, a deal will produce a more perfect game. Is there something that you would like to see to produce that result? Like, if, you, if, that, if this was in it, you'd be like, oh, that's great for the game. Oh, I don't know. No, no, there's nothing... Nothing specific. I know I've heard a lot of talks about the DH, yes. um, expanded playoffs, you know, revenue sharing. I don't know. I'm not going to get into commenting on all that. Uh, hopefully, if and when we get a deal, uh, I can comment on, on what I think of it. I love the DH. That's me. I love the DH. Nice. <laughs> Aaron Boone, thank you so much. Thank Have you. fun tonight. I appreciate right. it. I'll see you on the field in uh, hopefully April. Yes, we'll hopefully. see. Hopefully. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeah, baseball teams committed $1.7 billion to free agents before lockout began with six nine-figure contracts. Scherzer to the Mets for a record-breaking AAV of $43.3 million. Robbie Ray to the Mariners for an AAV of $23 million. Corey Seager to the Rangers for an AAV of $32.5 million. And the list goes on, except it doesn't include the Yankees. They don't have a shortstop. They don't have a number two starter. They have question marks at catcher and in center field. And... These question marks are just not unique to this season. I mean, they were all the same questions during last offseason, too. Yet, the Yankees sat out this period and watched as the top free agents came off the board and watched the Mets make most of the headlines. And so Boone said, and I wrote it, I scribbled it down just now. He said, I guess I get it, but it's December 2nd. There's so many twists and turns that the offseason brings. I know Cash and our front office are working really hard right now. Hold judgment until we take the field and some wins and losses next to our name. I know he doesn't have the word general in front of his title, so I, I guess we'll see. Vernon in Manhattan, you're up next on The Fan. Hey, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? It's been so long, <laughs> Vernon. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm doing great. Good. You're on different times, so so hard I for know. me to find you. I know. I'm sorry. Well, anyway. I, 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 I just, I just talk... go where they tell me to go, Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk about the manager uh, of the Mets, but I'm going to switch up. There's okay. a gentleman that's 
called and said something very interesting. He talked about the feel at City Field. So I want to just go back real quick. Yes, the dirtologist. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, let's go to the Packers. In the Super Bowl, when they played the, not the Super Bowl, when they played the um, Dallas Cowboys in the Ice Bowl, a lot of people don't understand, well, what happened to that field? Vince Lombardi knew about that cold weather coming. And a lot of people don't know under uh, Lambeau Field, there's huge, massive pipes. So he had the pipes turn on mm -hmm. that night and had a huge covering put on top of it. Mm -hmm. But by the next day, when he took the covering off, the field was moist. And the cold hair hit the moist field, and it turned it to actually like ice. Mm. <laughs> so when uh, Bart Starr came over to uh, Lombardi, because he couldn't get the guys in for a touchdown. He said to Vince, he said, Vince, listen. He said, I can't get them in because by the time they stand up, they can't grip the ground. He said, let me, when, that, when they hike it to me, let me go in. Vince said, go ahead and let's get the H out of here. It's cold. <laughs> and that's how they scored the touchdown to win and beat Dallas. Look at that. <laughs> now, nice going story. To, <laughs> thank you. Now, going to the Cyclones. The cyclone field was changed because when Sandy hit, it really destroyed the field. Yes. So if you go to the Brooklyn Cyclones game, it is now AstroTurf. Huh. So For that reason, interesting. Go, yeah, so let's go to the Mets. All right, Mets, go ahead. How, how, how I found out about the field is actually I had a tour of the stadium and come to find out that the stadium, when it was built, it's built on a huge, massive drainage system under it. Mm. And the grass is bluegrass coming from Kentucky, the best of the best. So what the gentleman said is true, because when the ball hits the field, it does give a fast and funny bounce. So that's the reason why when he talked about the field, I knew exactly what he's saying, because when it rains at City Field, this massive underground training system tries to drain out the water from the field. Mm -hmm. So that's the. Uh, Vernon, thing. I had no idea you were you were a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. I, I appreciate that tonight. <laughs> and uh, we'll take Vernon. Vernon is a, a plethora of knowledge, and he sends me emails all the time, which I love and appreciate all the time, Vernon. So thank you. I appreciate you picking up the phone tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we do have to. We have an update from. Is it still McCann? Mike. Mike. You think we? Nick's giving me directions behind the scenes here. Um, okay. When do you want me to stop? Okay. Oh, all right. Then I feel bad for cutting Vernon off there. Um, okay. So Vernon, by the way, ha has been absent for a little bit. And, and I checked in on him on, on, with emails maybe, I think, about a week ago. And I'm now back in. He sends emails all the time to like his Met. He goes, to my Mets fans. And he sends all these great emails all the time. And I don't always respond to them. But I do read them. And I appreciate them. And I had no idea that you knew so much about it. And you know what? The stadium tours, even in our home stadiums, are so informational, if you're into that, anybody. But I definitely am. And I, But I've never done a City Field one. I've done the Yankee Stadium one. But City Field one? I might put that on my bucket list. And Vernon, thanks for picking up the phone call. And um, I know it's – I just – I know I'm in all different slots. I just go where they tell me to go. And um, tonight it was now. So I we've got – oh, Wow. We've got, what, another hour? Well, okay. We have another hour here on the fan 
Uh, 877-337-6666 is the number. And right now we're going to throw it to... uh, We're back to McCartney after midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Like I was just saying, we have about 60 minutes left in the show. So if you want to get aboard, it's 877-337-6666. Pete Hoffman comes your way at 2 a.m. Surprised he's not here yet. He's usually here way early. Maybe he is here and he just hasn't popped in to say hi. But Pete Hoffman, great guy. And uh, he'll be coming your way at 2. So you, you know what? You're locked in for the rest of the night. He's on 2 to 6. So you got your plan set, everybody. You know, I, I first saw this story. This is a good story. Um, on Amy Dash, our legal analyst website. It's called leagueofjustice.com. And, and I had to bring it to you because there was this freshman basketball team at Notre Dame Prep, the one in Michigan. And the coach, you know, he told them to make a group chat, discuss team-related stuff, which is a 1,000% normal. They thought they were adding this kid on the team named Luca. When they accidentally put a wrong number into the group chat. Relatable, right? I actually did it with Anthony Volpe. I texted him. And this is a true story. I texted him. I got his number from... Okay, never mind that. But, you know, I I was given his number. And I texted him. He didn't answer. I was like, "Ah, all right. Oh, whatever. I'll see him at the dinner. So at the dinner, he told me, oh, because you got one wrong digit right there. And I was like, oh, that's why. So he responded today. We're all good. But it's relatable. This this ties right into this story. So in this case, the wrong number was someone that said he was Michigan native Sean Murphy Bunting. Oh, Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneer Sean Murphy Bunting. The kids obviously didn't believe him, and I wouldn't either. So what he did was he sent them a selfie sitting in front of his locker. And ultimately, for these kids, it culminated in a FaceTime call that Leonard Fournette took over. He took the phone from Murphy Bunting and introduced the freshman basketball team of Notre Dame Prep in Michigan to many of his Bucks teammates, including Mike Evans, Richard Sherman, Rob Gronkowski, and the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, Tampa Tom. And there are videos, there are screenshots, this really did happen, and how crazy is this? I mean, what a cool, cool story that, that could happen to any of us. So, you know, I just, I, I think it's extremely relatable. And I saw it and I was like, oh, I have to tell them. I have to tell my listening audience um, about this story. And it, the kids were interviewed on a local news channel. And they were like all lined up and they were, they were going crazy. And you know what my question was and what I probably would have asked is the kid Luca, who they thought it was. Did he miss out on all of this stuff? Because he wasn't in the group chat because his number was the Buccaneers player's number, you know? So I hope he didn't miss out on it. I hope they, they FaceTimed like his mom or something and, and got him in on that. But what a cool story. I think it's a pretty cool story. I don't know. What about you guys? Uh, let's go to the Havistraw, New York. Jim, you're up on the fan. Yeah, how you doing? I, I read that story. It was a really cool a story. Funny, right? I love it. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, imagine being that uh, that team. Um, uh, also, I, I did do that tour at Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. and uh, a few years back with my father and my brother. Uh, amazing the the history and 
I found out why they were called the Highlanders being at the highest point of Manhattan and how the NY became interlocking. It was, uh, it was really cool. But, um, going back to the, to the Cashman thing, mm-hmm. I'm not an apologist, right? I'm a diehard Yankee fan. Um, everybody, uh, is just talking about just the one function of his job. So if, if you just bear with me for a second, imagine Hal Steinbrenner's in his boardroom. He calls up all the, the COO of minor league baseball, overseas baseball, mm-hmm. uh, advertising marketing, right? So this guy's job function, you know, w- when he makes trades and part of the trade, he gets $500,000 for the overseas market. And, and he looks at his team and he says, hey, is, is Cashman keeping your pockets full? Yes. The minor league system. I mean, you're, you're playing um, your interview with Volpe. I mean, those things are happening because of the moves he's making. You, you ask the one caller, who, who's the number two starter? Who's the number one team net revenue um, every year? I mean, all. Well, all and these- I think, but I think that that's where Yankee fans, some that have called here, have said, like, okay, well, it feels like, and callers have said this, not me, but it feels like the Yankees have prioritized this revenue of being relevant every year and the money stream coming in rather than being really super competitive every year. That's yeah, but, but, but that so again, I disagree. So super competitive, he can't. You know, you you tr- you make these trades. He can't affect when injuries happen, right? These are variables. He can't affect when um and and, and this is. You know, this is horrible, but I bring it up. He can't affect when domestic violence comes into play. He can't affect. He he makes these moves, and then he passes his moves along. These moves are good moves. We we have a team that is competitive every year. So you know, I'm, I'm I was born in '77, right? I, I started watching the Yankees in, in the mid '80s. I'm seven, eight years old, and so I've been through. You know, I, I, I just came watching the game when it was Nettles and Mattingly and all those guys. So I, I was, you know, part of watching, you know, the, the bad uh, baseball. I mean, listen, I, I'm, it, it's just like in any sport. You get in and then you just hope you're hot and you're good, right? So, I, I mean, 90-plus wins, the playoffs, I've seen the bad, I've seen the World Series. I, you know, again, uh, we're, we're hammering on them. I'm not apologizing because I pay the fifty dollars to park. I pay the fourteen dollar mm-hmm. beers. I bring my kid up and I pay. So spend the freaking money. I mean, buy the players. I I don't care about any of that. I don't. You know, people argue. Oh, you guys buy this and buy that. I don't care. I'm paying. You know, uh, money to buy. But I just yeah. But the, but the, but Hal Steinbrenner would disagree with you in saying that. Well, you can't keep. You can't do that. We have a luxury tax for a reason, Jim. And that's it. It's, 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 that's what it is. And listen, the fact of the matter still is that Brian Cashman hasn't done enough enough yet. I know Aaron Boone just told me to tell everybody to, to, to calm down. But, I mean, these are problems that have been going from year to year to year. Holdovers from year to year to year. Gary Sanchez. I mean, he could do, like, all those out, things you outlined, those variables, great, wonderful. He can he can influence the scouting department. He could talk and he can get a profile on players and and how they're going to project to be. I mean, look at the the busts of of, of Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar. Where is he? I mean, all of these guys these guys that there were was these prized possessions that he didn't want to trade. He just he fell in love with the prospects and then ended up getting nothing for him. 
Frasier, at least. There was a market for Frasier. Why not? Why not? Why hold on to him? And I understand that in everybody's job, nobody is perfect. In any job, anywhere, nobody is perfect. It's just when you look at the, the, the moves that this guy has been making with the, the, the payroll that he has, the allowance that he has, it just hasn't added up to, to, to World Series. And, and if being competitive, you know, being in, in, the, in the postseason, the first round every single year is your thing, then, then that's fine. Then, then you're happy. You're a happy Yankee fan. You know, I like to win things. I like to win World Series. And the Yankees haven't done it since I was in college in 2019, uh, 2009. So, Ben in Queens, you're up next on the fan. Morning, Coach. How before are you, Ben? I, before I begin, good luck to Maggie Gray and Mark Melusis and whatever they do next. Yes, wish them we'll, the best, yes. We'll, we'll just keep on going from there. Um... Can I point out to Yankee fans that during a lockout, no moves could be made? So all of this, we got to make moves, we got to make moves. You're going to have to, you got to wait. <laughs> well, I know. And Ben, this is going to be the topic of conversation for the next couple months here. <laughs> go, go like, now, the Yankees are the cause of this because they didn't make a move. You knew this thing was coming. You didn't even try. <laughs> I, I know you're, you're strapped for cash. But but just think about those words that just came out of my mouth, yeah. Coach. The Yankees yeah. are strapped for cash. Yeah. Because that's the only reason you choose the Pittsburgh Pirates play here. <laughs> I, I, it's just it's baffling, you know, and, and it's a position where Yankee fans are not used to being in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's a, there's a fan base that's even more delusional than the Yankees. Hey, Georgia Bulldog fans. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. How this was all, I've heard it was a lock. We're finally going to beat them down. I was like, yo, could you win the game first? That long touchdown they gave up in the first quarter, like totally, totally took just all heart and soul out of you guys. And you were the number one team in the nation. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would love it. I would love it if Alabama's number one, they end up being number four, and they have to face them again. The reason why I would love it is then I would be gauging Georgia fans, like there's a couple on ESPN who just did not hide their glee at this, and I'm like, you still are taking on Saban and Alabama. Could we be intelligent here? Yeah, <laughs> go uh, seriously, yes. <laughs> go like, go like, that's like me as a Yankee fan. Oh, we're facing the Red Sox. We got it in the bag. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not until it's three outs in the ninth and we're up and that's it. The umpire calls game. You don't celebrate until Alabama, that final whistle blows and that's it. And uh, a hard lesson for them to learn. And I'll leave off on this with my Jets. Last week was a start. It looked rocky. This week, he's, he's had a week under his belt. We'll see what Zach has. We'll but see. Ne- but, we'll see. But, but, but now, again, it's the same thing uh, as I look at Solomon thing. It's that defense. <laughs> the first half, 
You're leaking like a sieve. The second half, yeah, we're big and strong. You're going up against Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts isn't the best passer in the world. Yes. But you know he can dice you up if you're over-aggressive. You've got to keep him in the pocket. And, 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 and I make it sound so easy, but this is a dude that he can be a stand-up thrower and he could throw on the move. Well, Ben, he, here's the thing, though. I, there, Adam Schefter tweeted and said, this is a quote, Jalen Hurts very well may be out Sunday due to his sprained ankle, but the Eagles want to see great. how Hurts is feeling on game day before making any final decisions. So it could or could not be him, and which is a huge problem for the Jets. Yeah, huge. yeah. So now we got uncertainty. Who is the uh, the Philly backup? Uh, what, is it, wasn't is it, it Flacco? Did we get Flacco from Philly? We did. Yes, the Jets did. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Minshew oh. Mania is about to show its uh, it's it's ugly headed uh, MetLife Stadium. That's beautiful. Min- Minshew's going to Mike White the the Jets. That would yep. be the perfect quota for this season. Yep. Minshew come in and throw for four hundred yards, and Philly ends up being in the same problem we were in. That that that's beautiful. That's lovely. Yep. Anyway, coach, thanks for the time. Glad you're getting the work, and uh, until we cross again. Yeah, Ben. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it there. And I'll have my uh, Jets and Giants picks coming up in a little bit. Uh, let's go to, in the order that you guys call, Chris in Farmingdale. You're up on the fan. Hey, Daniel. What's going on? Hey, what's up? Uh, I want to switch gears up. I, I really okay. usually talk about Mets and Giants, um, but being that the Knicks are, well, sort of relevant, I guess, at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't agree with Tibbs' decision to take Walker out of the rotation totally. I mean, I get it, because, like, well, you, you look up and down the line, like, who who is he playing better than? And, he, and it's actually nobody. Yeah. Um, and you obviously can't put it, you can't put him in for Robinson, because Robinson ain't doing that good, but Robinson's the center. You need right. you need somebody to get the rebounds mm-hmm. and, you know, do the alley-oop dunk. Mm-hmm. But, I, I, I mean, I guess it's more that, well, we're not, we're not, playing good ball right now and it's like well it's not going to hurt keeping him in the rotation i right. mean especially if these guys are getting worn out um and i i, I and i like the kid and, and i know he, he's been ecstatic ever since he got here i don't want his career or at least his next career to end the way that it's going you know and you yeah. can tell he's still frustrated yeah i mean he hasn't spoken to the media since since the benching uh, you know it's just I, I mean, do you really think and believe that Kevin Knox is a better player than Kemba Walker? I mean, come on. Oh uh, yeah, not, not. I mean, I think we need to get, move on from him. Um, yeah, two, two seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. And that's another thing. It's like you know, Rose and Perry, and I hope Perry get goes. I hope he goes to the Trailblazers. Uh, I, I, you know, it's like these guys are just not doing it. They're they're not getting us the 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 big star or. The big, the big uh, number one that can um, compliment Randall. Yeah. It's like you know, he, he, you, why did you give all this money to Fournier? I mean, he's not worth that money. Okay, he'll hit those clutch threes. Um, you know, he'll he, he's pretty decent. Uh, uh, he's really not not doing much on defense. Um, I, you know, it, it's like they're 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 capping all their their money on on guys that really would be in the second rotation on, mm-hmm. on, on, on most teams, you know? I know. And, and, and here's the thing, though. When you looked at that, that roster uh, in the offseason, you're like, okay, they need depth. They need depth pieces, right? And and that's what they kind of went out and got, right? You just outlined. Except they're missing the superstar on, on the first rotation. Rotation number one, they're missing a superstar. But they did add to their depth. These guys just, I don't know what's going on. They just didn't pan out. Yeah. 
Do you, do you think um, Tibbs is overworking these guys? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the games, obviously, and I, and I see Randall, and it's not just him, it's a couple other guys, the stupid turnovers. Like like when they in, inbounded the ball uh, yesterday, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it, it might have been Robinson to Randall. Oh, yeah. And he, he kicked it back out of bounds. He tried to save it. I'm like, yeah. I've never seen that. Then I'm starting to think, is Tibbs working these guys? Because I read an article, he, you know, um, no, it wasn't an article I read. I, I did when they showed the interview of the Denver coach and how he admired Tibbs because, you know, he make these guys, you know, practice three or four hours. I'm thinking, is he overworking these guys? That's why these guys are turning over the ball so much. I don't know, Chris. That's a good question because I, I used to play basketball too, and and those silly mistakes like that happen when you're tired. And when you're tired in a game, it's either due to lack of conditioning or over conditioning, right? So. I don't know. It's a really good question, and I'm not at practice to see what, what happens at practice, but I, th- I think it's a fair point, and it's a good question, and, and it's something not um, crazy. It's like a not, a not a crazy idea to think that because there have been players that have said that Tom Thibodeau is a tough coach, and it could be. I mean, it could be part of it. It's probably not all of the story, but it's, it's probably definitely part of it, yeah. Let's go to Pat in Belrose, New York. You're up on the fan. Hi, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you, Pat? All right, enjoying this show. Thank you. So we're talking about the managers. I would love for Bochi, yeah. but you got to figure Sosha's going to be in the mix because of Epler. But I wouldn't mind them either hiring Tony Pena or Rod Gardenhire. Gardenhire has a track record, also. That's one thing. Yeah, uh, but if if Bochi's really seriously out there, you go and get him. Oh yeah. That would be my first choice, of course. Yeah. And when they're talking about first, but one thing, Sandy Alderson, there's only four things he doesn't know. Pitching, hitting, defense, and a farm system. <laughs> but if we trade, yeah, other than that, he does pretty good. Wait, Pat, I'm going like, to add a fifth one. He doesn't know where Javi Baez's earring still is. That, that's true. I, I would tell you where it is. There's an old Irish expression, but I'm not allowed to say it on radio. Oh, no. Wherever it is. Oh, no. But the other thing is with the farm system, I mean, with Dominic Smith, they could possibly do something with the A's. The A's send Olsen to the Yanks for some uh, prospects. The Mets send Smith to the A's, and they make a mix and uh, bring in some halfway decent prospects. You know, Pat, I, I don't think know. You can get three. I don't know if I would do that because I would say, and we got to hit a break here, Pat. I don't, but I don't know if I would trade Dom Smith because they might, there might very well be a designated hitter in the National League next season, and. Dom Smith, I think, would be an excellent designated hitter for the Mets because he's not an outfielder. As much as he tried, as much as he's a great guy for trying, he's not an outfielder. First base is also pretty locked up, and they've got some flexibility with players that can fill in at first base with some of the guys that they just got. I think, and then maybe you say you pivot and you say, oh, well, J.D. Davis could do the same thing, or maybe he can. I'd have to kind of look at, at their numbers more specifically and compare them. Like, who would I rather have as a D.H. Smith or J.D. Davis, but if it's Davis, then you trade Smith. If it's Smith, then you trade Davis. Problem with trading Davis is then you're going to have to f- sign Chris Bryant in his spot. All right, um, let's go. I'll uh, do Giants or Jets, Giants or Jets, Giants or Jets. Uh, let's do Giants. My Giants prediction coming up next on The Fan. Welcome back on this semi-charmed life Sunday morning here on The Fan. I'm Danielle McCartan. Uh, with you till 2 a.m. when Pete Hoffman comes your way. The Pete Hoffman comes your way. He'll be taking you till sunrise at 6 a.m. Giants prediction time. Here we go. The 4-7 and seven New York Giants 
are at the 5-7 and seven Miami Dolphins, 1 p.m. and uh, less than 12 hours from now, right? The Giants will be without their starting quarterback, Daniel Jones. And the Giants are getting the Dolphins at the best they've played all season. Or is it? There's a lot of buzz around this Dolphins defense, and I'm not sure that I have bought into the hype. In the four-game win streak that they're currently taking into Week 13, this Dolphins team, they have beaten the Texans, the Ravens, the Jets, and the Panthers. The Ravens game was a shocker. I'll give them that. But the other three teams combined now have an average winning percentage of 291. Like, really? Is that really something to champion? Cam Newton, P.J. Walker, and Zach Wilson. That's who this Dolphins defense has beat. Three of the worst quarterbacks in the league at the moment uh, um, when you look at quarterback rating, literally. So, like, it's it's not arguable. Like, look at it. So, is this four-game win streak, Dolphins are getting to playing their best football, is it a mirage or is it an indication of a team that has decisively turned it around? A look at this Dolphins defense. It blitzes the quarterback the most often in the NFL Fact, the Dolphins averaged four sacks a game during this four-game win streak. Is that a mirage or is that a real indicator? The Dolphins have not allowed more than 17 points in this four-game win streak. Is that a mirage or is that a real indicator? I mean, come on. It picked up. uh, This defense picked off, washed, washed Cam Newton three times last week. I'm back. Yeah, okay. But again, this four-game win streak has been against the the Ravens, but the Texans, the Jets, and the Panthers. So cool your Jets, everybody, on this, all right? The Giants offense. Daniel Jones had been playing well over the past five games. His quarterback rating was over 94 in four of those five games, and the Giants were 3-2 and in that stretch. But it's it's Mike Glennon's time, who has never won a game as a starting quarterback in the NFL. The same Mike Glennon that threw two interceptions to the Cowboys defense and only one touchdown to his offense in October. I mean, that quarterback rating in that game was a 68.1. Pretty bad. But it was a Jason Garrett-led offense with out two major playmakers in Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton in, in Dallas. So they'll both be back this week. What does the Dolphins' off- offense look like? Tua Tungavailoa. He's coming off a 108.3 performance. I mean, come on. Keep that in mind, though. It was against the Panthers. So in that game against the Panthers, Jalen Waddle obviously was his top target. The guy caught nine passes on 10 targets for over 135 yards and a touchdown. They call him the Penguin. Waddle, Penguin. And the Giants will be playing without their Batman this week. And I mean Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson is officially listed as out with a quad. So that was going to be my matchup to watch. And that's a huge loss to the Giants. I mean, Adoree Jackson this season, when when he's targeted, allows a 53% completion percentage and a below-average quarterback rating. So that was going to be the key matchup. So... I just feel that Adoree Jackson's absence will be the difference maker in this game. Like, now combine that with the fact that Mike Glennon will be starting and has never won a game as a starter. You can look at that two ways. Is he due for one or is that a trend? There's just a lot of moving parts on that offense and and not in a good way. 
And I know the Giants picked off Jalen Hurts three times last week, and they're going to need to do it again against Tua Tungavailoa to even have a shot this week. Ultimately, again, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see it happening. I'm going Miami Dolphins, 23, New York Giants, 17. Miami Dolphins, 23. New York Giants, 17. I'm sorry. I hope I'm wrong. I really want to be wrong. Maybe Mike Glennon has a Mike White moment. Maybe he morphs into Mike White. Who knows? I don't know. But I just think there's a lot of moving parts. And I think the Dolphins will come away with it. 23-17. All right, back to your calls. 877-337-6666. I'll tweet this out. I don't hide behind anything. You know, I just I, it's all out there. I'm, I'm posting it up right now as we speak. Let's go to West New York. Carol, you're up on the fan. Hey there, Danielle. How are, How are, you? are you? I'm good, good. You know, I, I don't like what I'm seeing with the Nets because they should not have lost that game today. Levine and DeRozan uh, destroyed them today. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on with their defense. They're not very good right now. At Carol, they, they, don't play, they never play defense. They, they, they pl- never play defense. They, they rely on their ability to score points. And unfortunately, one of their... Best scorers is sitting out this season. That's the problem with this yes. team. Yes. And they also rely too much on Kevin Durant. Yes. Too. Yep. I was seeing something that he he's had. They were they were talking to him about his minutes that he plays a game. It's not sustainable. Yeah. It's it's astronomical and it's not sustainable. So that that is something to watch moving forward. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I mean, they beat the Knicks by two points. The Knicks of all people. <laughs> oh, now you, you just I mean, infuriated some Knicks fans. <laughs> well, I'm not a Knicks fan. I'm a Nets fan, yes. of course. So, but they barely beat them. Huh? Barely beat them by yeah. two points. Mm-hmm. I know. I, was, I watched that game. It was very close. That game was. Yeah, I know. But that, that should not have happened. <laughs> that should not have happened. I know. They were good against the Timberwolves. But with the Bulls? Uh, the Bulls are pretty good, though. Come on, Carol. Were. The Bulls are pretty good. Yes, the Bulls are pretty good. <laughs> I agree. But, um, you know, I just don't like what I'm seeing with the team. Yeah. yeah. We need Kyrie Irving back. Yes. We need Kyrie Irving back. I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. this. I mean, it was kind of like a shock. To, you know, the team is expecting him to be there, and then all of a sudden he's not there. And they right. kind of left them reeling, I think. He, yeah, he, he's a great player. He's a great player, but this whole digging into this whole thing, uh, it's it's not boding well for this team. Unfortunately, no, it's not. It's you're absolutely right. It's not, <laughs> and, I, and I don't see it changing. I really don't. I mean, the new mayor, right? He said that he's not changing the stance on that, and he's keeping everything. As far as I live in New Jersey, so the, as far as I know, yes. everything's going to be mm-hmm. staying the same, and that's it. So I don't, I don't know where this goes from here. I don't know either, but there's some players that are trying to step up, you know, like uh, Patty Mills yes. and um, Bembry and Aldridge. I mean, these guys are really trying. They're just not as good as, as Kyrie no. Irving. No. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's something to watch, Carol, moving forward, and thanks for the call. It, you know, look at those minutes on, on Kevin Durant. There are a lot. And I, you, you know me by now. I am not a proponent of um, what is that called when they time management, risk management. What is it called? What is it called? 
I don't even know the, the name of it. What Nick? What is it called? I'm drawing a blank, but uh, management. Uh, uh, load management. Load management. Yeah. There you go. I don't. I don't like this load management crap. Get out there and play. But for a team that's supposed to make a a deep run into the playoffs and their superstar player, the player that the the team runs through. Let's be honest, Kevin Durant. When he's playing the number of minutes that he is, it concerns me. And, and, and this early in the season, like like the 5th of December, it's concerning to me. They miss Kyrie Irving more than they're willing to admit. And Nick, we're not taking any calls on uh, vaccination statuses and all that. We're talking from a basketball standpoint that they miss him. And he left him in the lurch. I can never get these expressions right. I think that's how it goes. And unfortunately for them, you know, the rest of the team, and I talked about it. I talked about it when it first happened. The rest of the guys are going to have to eat up his minutes. And the balancing act of it all, it's, uh, it's, it's not great when, when you've got a, a major linchpin out of the rotation. And Kyrie Irving, from a basketball standpoint, they miss him dearly. More than they'll, they'll admit. To West Palm Beach we go. Mike, you're up on the fan. Buongiorno, Danielle. Hey, Mike, it's been a while. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's so funny. I, I give a shout-out to Nick, too, all the good producers. I, I woke up a little while ago. I, I said, let me flip on fan and see who's on it. Well, what do you know? I got to see if I can call. Um, it's me. <laughs> you know, I'll make it quick. It's towards uh, the end of the show. Um, and I said to Nick, uh, you know, I'm looking at my phone before I uh, punch in uh, WFAN. And I got to tell you, a longtime Jets fan, Used to watch him at a hospital for 40 years, practice, and the Mets, of course. But I'll make it quick. Um, you know, the Jets coach uh, at the press conference, he wore a, a T-shirt mm-hmm. from the high school of the Wildcats in Michigan yeah. where that horrific shooting took place, people. Yeah. And maybe, you know, if you watch the NFL today, I know I will. Uh, everyone should reflect on, 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 uh, on that uh, damn shooting and the climate we live in around the country, the climate we live in, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, lastly, uh, Danielle, good interview with, uh, with Boone. And it's true. I've, I've said this uh, to Yankee fans for years. I, I'm, I'm a Yankee fan and I don't hate them uh, like some people do. Uh, uh, but hey, GM Cashman has been a GM, what, 20 some odd years, uh, 24 years, whatever it is. Um, it's been 13 years since the Pinstripers made the uh, World Series. You know, something's got to happen because if it doesn't happen, is it going to be the GM for life? I don't think so. There's always there's always rotating chairs, whether it's a manager, uh, you know, um, a defensive coach, uh, uh, offensive coach, anything, GM, whatever the case is, whatever the sport is, you got to have rotating chairs because it's it just gets stale. It, it gets stale. Well, you know? and I wonder what would have to happen for him to be given the pink slip. I mean, really, what has to happen? You're exactly right. Because uh, you know how many uh, you know how many excuses can you make? And I know he's working hard, like all GMs doing this and that. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know there comes a point you say, uh, wait a minute, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Let's make a move. Let's make a move. Um, and I'll leave you with this with the Mets fans out there. Um, Curtis Grandison, you know, they're, they're, they're throwing names out there. Oh, who's going to be the next manager? I would give him a vote. I mean, uh, when uh, Cohen uh, uh, bought the team, I, I said, even on the, on the fan, I believe I said, 
I said, he's going to be the new George Steinbrenner mm-hmm. in New York City. Yep. You know, New York uh, uh, baseball. Because uh, so far, you know, they're spending a serious bucks. And, uh, you know, l- l- let's see what happens. Uh, you know, every, everyone's looking forward to the baseball season like uh, all year long. So, yep. Danielle, uh, I'll let you go. Always good chatting. And uh, what word am I thinking of now? Uh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Oh, you still got serious mojo behind a microphone. What can I say? <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate that. Great to hear from you, Danielle. All the best. All right. Bye. Ciao. It's been a while since Mike's called into the show, but it's been a while since I've been on this time slot. So maybe that's, maybe they're correlated. Yeah. I told him where you've been. I haven't heard from him in a long time. Are you either? Okay. So it's yes. not just me. <laughs> no, I guess he just likes talking to you. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, let's go. Yeah, we can do it. Let's go to Linden, New Jersey. We go. And Carmen, you're up on the fan. Uh, hello. How are you? Good. How are you, Carmen? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a comment. I, I am a, a, a net fan, but I, I enjoy watching the Knicks as well. But I, I'm a net fan. Um, my my biggest thing is uh, everybody's supposed to uh, make, uh, do things so that Kyrie Irving is, is, is satisfied. I know he does a lot of charitable work. Mm. I know he's. I'm, I'm not talking about him as a person. Yes. But. If you really bring, if you really bring guys over and you want to win a championship, you got three superstars. He couldn't help what happened last year. He got hurt, right. and that's played with one and a half guys. When you come into this year, and you don't, you don't look at your teammates and want to get a vaccine to play and to try to win a championship. Kyrie Irving cares about. Kyrie Irving, and that's it. Well, it's, 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 I, yeah. I enjoy listening to you. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, Carmen, thank I, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it, listen, this is not going to be a vaccine conversation, but that aside, Kyrie Irving also was not a team player. Think about last year when he went to that birthday party with all of those people when we were all still home and afraid to go out. I can speak for myself. I was afraid to go out into the world with, especially with a large group of people like that. And Kyrie Irving just did it. No mask, all that. And, um, just left up and left. I mean, we're talking like I watched during quarantine, really, uh, me and my friend, we watched the entire series of, uh, the Michael Jordan thing. And this kind of reminds me of the, the Dennis Rodman days where he would just kind of leave his team up and leave him. My friend's not really a basketball fan, but her stepdad, was Cliff Robinson, so he, she was watching to see him, and we did see him playing Michael Jordan a couple times in some of the, the shots, so it was funny. We, we would send them to him, but I'm just... The guy's not a team player, and it's not because he's not getting the shot, because because it's been shown this is just another episode in the Kyrie Irving is not a team player saga. It's just another episode. And... The team is struggling. From a basketball standpoint, the team is absolutely struggling without him. And no one's going to get out there and throw him under the bus, of course. But I'm sure I want to bet that they want to. And they're not going to do it. They've been asked and asked and asked. And finally, they've been done being asked about that. But I don't know. It's just, it's just, it is what it is. This team. And it's crazy because when you look at the Eastern Conference standards, they're 16 and 7. 
But I just feel like that the pendulum might swing because you look at the, the average number of minutes that Kevin Durant logs per game, it's a lot. It's too many. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And as the Nets have ascended the standings, the Knicks have descended it. I think they dropped to, for the first time, I think it's the first time this season they dropped to under 500 the other day, or even today, uh, later, or whatever, whatever date. I'm getting mixed up. I'm usually on during the days on the on the weekend. No, I'm getting mixed up on what day it is. But they've just dropped below 500. They're 11 and 12. And so they're on a three-game losing streak, and there's that. But the Bulls, the Bulls are a good team. I thought that game was going into overtime, and I was going to be pretty annoyed because it was going to cut into my show. But it did not. We've got the full three hours here tonight, and we've got about 20 minutes left. So you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. My Jets prediction coming up next on The Fan. segment here of McCartan After Midnight. I haven't used that in, in months. McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan. Everybody, welcome. Wherever you are right now, thank you for making me part of your night. I'm getting a text message from, from a friend. His name is Chris, and he is on his way home from a gig. Okay, so if you're going to the Jet game tomorrow, I'm about to give you my Jets prediction. If you're going to the Jet game tomorrow, you know you've been there before. You know they have that stage that's set up outside the... Uh, Whatever gate that is, I, I didn't, by the suite entrance over there, there's a stage set up on like the, you know what I'm talking about, the band shell over there. Why am I struggling for words here? It's it's on the, the, the Timex Center. Is that what they're calling the giant? The Quest Diagnostic Center. That's it. On that side of the stadium, they have a stage set up and it's, you know, local bands, local talent, whatever. So my friend Chris, he's going to be playing on that stage. So if you're at the game, if you're at the tailgate, Give them a shout. They start it. They go take the stage at 10 a.m. The band is called Mr. Lovejoy, and Chris is the drummer. He's a bald guy. (laughs) He's laughing in his car right now. I know he is. So he's the bald guy. Tell him you know me. Tell him I sent you. And enjoy the music. I've never seen them live. Chris, Chris, I got to get get out to see you live. Um, You got to keep me updated on any of the bar shows, um, local ones. I'm not driving all the way to Long Island and things like that. It's too far. But check them out. Mr. Lovejoy is the band. Chris is the drummer. And if you're there, 10 a.m. at the stadium tomorrow. So my Jets prediction. The 5-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles are at the 3-8 and eight New York Jets at 1 p.m. Well, the game time decision of who's going to be quarterbacking the Eagles um, may or may not sway this decision here on, on what's going to happen. But Jalen Hurts is coming off a terrible, terrible performance against the Giants defense last week. He only had 129 air yards. Total. Through three interceptions, and two of them were deep, deep in the red zone, one of which was actually in the end zone. So, woo! The offensive game plan for the Eagles tomorrow, I keep saying tomorrow, but it's, it's less than 12 hours away, will definitely be to run the ball, I think. And I didn't know why they didn't stick to it last week. They rushed the ball for 208 yards and a touchdown against the Giants. And you know what was crazy? This was a crazy stat that I had come across. The Eagles actually had. Two more yards per rush against the Giants than they did per pass attempt. So, like, I think it was like 6.7 yards a rush, I think they had, and they had only like 4.4 yards per pass attempt. I think that's crazy. But I think a running game game plan would play into the strength of the Jets because last week they had excellent play. And finally, I can use the word excellent from their interior defensive lineman, 
John Franklin Myers, Quinton Williams, the the two of them last week combined for three of the Jets' five sacks and three of the Jets' seven quarterback hits. And finally, it's a little complimentary football for the green team, the one that plays in New York anyway. Um, They executed the game plan that I, I, I said on the air that I wish that they would make Tyrod Taylor beat you with his arm. And he didn't, and he couldn't, and he finished with 158 passing yards. I mean, the last seven possessions last week were punt, 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 missed field goal over, missed field goal, turnover on downs, and a game Jets win. And I think this Eagles offense is a very favorable matchup for this Jets defensive line. And as far as the Jets' offense, though, I mean, you didn't see much improvement from Zach Wilson, did you? For me, he did nothing to actually win that game for the Jets. The defense did all the heavy lifting. And while Patriots rookie quarterback Mac Jones has the highest quarterback rating among all of them last week, the Jets' rookie quarterback Zach Wilson finished the Texans' game with a 58.5. In my line of work in the daytime, that's a failing grade. And guess what? That that was the third worst in the entire league last week. Only Lamar Jackson and P.J. Walker had worse quarterback ratings than him. And again, we look at his season stats, and they are very concerning. Four touchdowns to 10 interceptions and an, and an average rating for the year of a 62.9 rating. In my line of work during the daytime, that grade is still an F. So it's bad. There's no sugarcoating it. Mike White and Joe Flacco always look better running the offense than Zach Wilson does. And the Jets' offensive line, though, isn't doing him any favors. I mean, he was sacked four times last week, took four quarterback hits, and in the seven games that he started and finished, he's been sacked over four times in four of them. It's crazy when you think about it because Flacco and White were never sacked more than two times per game. So that tells me that... The rookie Wilson, is he's probably just holding on to the ball too long. Maybe he's taking too long to understand what the defense is doing. Maybe he's taking too long to go through his progressions. And then, boom, the defense is on him like white on rice, as we used to say on the playground growing up. But this, the Eagles' pass defense kind of stinks. There's only five teams that give up a higher quarterback rating than them, and they certainly don't get after the quarterback. Call me crazy. With a rookie quarterback that's, I think, is having a really tough time. But I like the matchups for the Jets in this game. I think the Jets actually come away with a win. I really do. I'm going Jets 20, Eagles 17. Now, tomorrow, you guys go oh, ahead tweet me and say, oh, you were so wrong. Jets suck, this and that. I just like the matchups. I, I As I just explained, I, I like the way that these two teams match up. And I think the Jets... Um, I think they might pull it off. But, of course, if Gardner Minshew comes out with his mustache and then ends the Jets in misery again, all over again, with a backup quarterback all over again. All right, to the phones we go at 877-337-6666. Dave and Comac, you're up on the fan. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dave? That's so great. Uh, the Islanders lost their ninth in a row. Yeah, it's not looking good. I'm beginning to think that... uh and a lot of Ireland fans are probably going to disagree with me on this, but I think that uh, it's time to fire Barry Trotz and it's time to get rid of Amarillo because COVID can't be used as an excuse for these players they brought up regardless. Um, Dave, I don't know if you're like my cousin. Do you DVR the games and go back and watch them? 
or no? I watched them on on YouTube and I listened to them on the radio. Okay, because uh, they lost their tenth straight in overtime tonight. I hate to break the news to you. They lost a tenth straight. Okay, so I'm a, I'm I'm a game behind. Yeah, sorry. My cousin, my cousin's a, t- a huge Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and when I and Rays and stuff, and when I tell him my the the guy that lives in Florida, and when I tell him about the games, he's like, I didn't watch them yet, so I wasn't sure if you're one of those because it's it's ten. No, I it's thought it 10. was eight, and then I and today's. Today's would have been the ninth, so I guess I'm mistaken. Hey, I just count, I'll count them again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ten. And the, but the, you know what this reminds me of? In 1988, Terry Simpson was the coach. They lost 12 in a row and didn't make the playoffs. Al Arbor took over. I don't know if there's going to be any changes for the Islanders moving forward. I think. Uh, I think it's time to rebuild. They need to get rid of both their goaltenders and. Uh, I think the reason why they're playing so poorly is you don't have Andrew Ladd, and, and Letty is gone, and there's another player. Forget, forget with an M that they had last year that's gone from last year. Dave, no ca- you got, you, you, you're wanting to blow up the whole operation there, Dave. Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, the goaltending, if you look at the goaltending, I know we've talked about this a couple different times, uh, and of the replays I've seen on uh, YouTube, uh, especially the first five games that Sorokin has played, you see uh, either too far left, too far right, yeah. or too far out of the goal. Yeah. And the same thing with Volama. Both of these guys got to go. you got to stay in the net, and you can't leave either side wide open. Well, Dave, I don't, I'm not sure that the, the Islanders are ready to blow this up, but a 10-game losing streak, the last two of which they lost in overtime, those hurt. To Dobbs Ferry we go. Sparky, you might be the Mariano Rivera of the night here, Sparky. Well, Coach, first of all, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a while. Thank God. Yeah, because I, I work overnight, so it's all kooky. I'm off on this night. But well, very important. Now, last time I talked to you, I really missed the boat on Marcus Stroman. Okay? I was thinking, wow, he'd be great to be here. But I didn't realize he didn't want to be in New York. Yeah, okay. I, it's kind of a peculiar case to me, too. I, I thought he would be great here long-term. I like the way he plays. He's a gritty player, all that. And you know what? He's he's a guy that burns bridges as he goes, apparently. Yes, and now with the Yanks, if I were a gambling person, I would coach, I would have lost the shirt off my back. Because you know what? I figured when the Yanks cleared three roster spots, that they were going to go with a crazy sense of urgency right. getting plays before the before the lockout. Right. I I, I totally I was like I, I like what they didn't and my God they bring back Sanchez it's like it's like you know I I, I thought they would it's like a bad joke. Yeah, you know what though, Sparky, and I kind of looked at it too. I mean, they're as as bad as Sanchez is. I don't know if there's a real catcher market out there. I don't know if there's one person that you could point to and say he is better than Gary Sanchez. And you know what? You know what? You know what's scary though. You're right about the catching market because this thing he could probably start for half the teams in the majors right now. Who's that? Higashioka. Sanchez. Oh, Sanchez. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. Okay, now at the Mets. Okay, I I'm going in an opposite direction. I think the best moves they may have made are the ones they didn't make. First of all, the foreman's and Stroman letting him go, letting Syndergaard go, and letting Byers go. Because you look at those three guys, 
what they have in common, you could see where those guys could cause trouble in a clubhouse. You know what, though, Sparky? The one guy, Bias, forget about, you know, I never wanted Bias. Strowman, uh, you know, Strowman was the one I wanted back. I did want Syndergaard back, too, but not at that price point. If he was going to take the qualifying offer, which he told everybody he was going to, then I would have been on board with it. But you're right. It was addition by subtraction with all three of those guys, yes. You know, and oh, the Strowman thing, I was so wrong because I figured the way that guy pitched, he would have been a good number two for the Yanks. Yeah, yeah, you're I mean, right about that. I mean, you getting, you have that one guy call, and you kept asking him who's the number two, yeah. and he's trying to change his subject. There is no number two. That's the answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, now with the Mets actually doing the signings, if you were living, if we were living in a perfect world, you would say, "Wow, you got you got Scherzer, you got Degrom in a short game series. Those guys, nobody's going to touch them." Yeah. Okay. I know. But but you think about it, what they have in common this past season, they both failed their teams when their teams needed them the most. I mean, Strong. I mean. DeGrom couldn't pitch for the last, like, six or seven weeks yeah. when they were desperate. And the Dodgers facing an elimination game. Scherz is unable to pitch because he has a dead arm. I think it was, well, it was game, yeah, six. Yeah, it was. That yeah. was elimination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's scary, though. Think about that. Yeah. When you needed him the most, he couldn't be there. And yeah. plus, he's 37 years old. And that's the one thing. See, I wish that the Mets would kind of uh, go to like a like a seven-man rotation. Uh, seven. Oh, my God. No, a six-man six rotation, I, I would think. Because you know what? Because of all those reasons, who knows what Degrom's going to be in, in innings limits? And and Walker, you know, he hit a shelf. He hit the wall at one point. And you yeah. know what? If they were to go to six, and I think that's what attracted Syndergaard to the Angels is that that's what they're doing for a guy that's coming off injury. That's amazing. I, I wish that the Mets would do that. And and I'm, I don't think that they're opposed to it because they did say they're still in the market for starting pitching. Uh, oh, let's face it. This guy Collins not messing around. No. Not no, this year, not, not this season. You know, because you had a call before mentioning about it's like they switch, almost switched uniforms. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. I We're know. like the Mets used to be, and they, and this guy's like Steinbrenner. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. You know, but the one thing which is, distra- I'm wondering, do you think there's a possibility, I mean, Cashman I can't tolerate, but do you think there's a possibility he might have inside information, the fact that maybe that this lockout's not going to be too long. Wow, Sparky, that's a great point. I don't know. That, 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 I don't know. That's a good question to raise. Talk more about that coming up on my next show. But thanks to all the callers. I could not have done this without you guys. I love coming here and talking with you. If you missed any portion of today's show, hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show, which was 11 p.m. I had uh, Anthony Volpe on. I had Aaron Boone on, both from the Italian-American Baseball Foundation's annual dinner the other night. So catch that. By the way, the videos are all up on the WFN social channels. Whatever your preferred social media channel is, it's there. Great job to Paul Rosenberg and to Nick Diodoro behind the glass tonight and also to Mike McCann with the updates. I'll be back with you guys soon. I've got a planned weekend off coming up. So don't miss me too much next week. And in the meantime, you can hit my social media channels at Coach McCartan, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'm handing it off to Pete Hoffman. He's next on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 The Fan.